The Koi Gig Pod. There's no way Arsenal would let her go. It's all kind of mind games going on, which is a lot of fun. Picked up more attention than any other actual transfer. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Alright, you're very welcome along. It is Tuesday morning after the bank holiday weekend. Everybody's feeling bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Shane's here. Good morning. Cameron's here. Hello. Ah, croaky voices all round. Uh, yeah, happy Sixmas indeed. We just hit puberty at the weekend, that's all that happened. Good good weekend then? Good weekend. Solid. A yeah. Bit. A little bit. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Bit of partying was done. Yeah. Throw yeah. Camp. Enjoying enjoying this February bank holiday stuff. Um, more of the same, please. Oh, hook it to my veins. Yeah. Aren't we still behind the European average? Doesn't everybody else around Europe get to party more often, more frequently, and yeah. deeper than we do? Definitely. Um, I was in France for May Day last year, which like Labor Day, and the place totally shuts down. Like you can't get a metro in Lyon at all that day. Wow, it is that's incredible. Not I, mean, <laughs> I do. Yeah, it could be on strike as well. That could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we could just pay people properly for doing that very vital work. Well, yeah, that would be okay for them to work on a, a holiday because they they get it back. Yeah, we should do a four day week all the time. I mean, it's been it's been mooted before, hasn't it? We should follow. The, I don't know what the Scandinavians do, but they probably do that. Well, they, they probably t- work a two day week. They take a long time off in the summer. Ah, see, they do float in a bed of oil in Norway, though, so they're allowed. You know, it's, it's possible for them to do that. Yeah, we haven't quite got that cracked. No, no, but we're we're getting there. Uh, an extra bank holiday is nice, and hopefully next year we can add another one and just keep that going. Bohemian 29 says it's Tuesday, lads. I did say it's Tuesday, didn't I? You did. It's the Tuesday after the bank holiday Monday. I think, yeah. yeah. No, you said it right. You said it right. I I also think you have to give a bit of leeway today. It does feel like a Monday. It is the Mondayest of Tuesdays that I've felt in a while since maybe the start after Christmas. The thing is, if if we had been in yesterday, though, the weekend was so incredible Mm. and so full of stuff that everybody would have been like, oh my God, what a weekend. Whereas now it feels a little bit too far away for us to be going, yeah, the rugby was good, wasn't it? As opposed to, oh my God. Yeah, the rugby what, we're ne- nearly feels like we're closer to France than, than we are to the Welsh game at this stage. Not far off. Yeah. Um, does feel like a while ago, yeah. The weekend was, was fairly busy. Um, the less talk about the Monaghan game, the better. So uh, if we focus on the rugby solely today, that would be great. The big city today. The big city today. Big city today is obviously the story that uh, the big story today is obviously that Manchester City uh, are facing 115 charges. Uh, we'll get into this in the uh, performance rankings. We'll also get into it a little bit later on in more detail. We're going to talk hurling. We're going to talk football. We look back. We look forward. If there's any trends that you're seeing from the start of the league, we'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're one of the hundreds of thousands of people who've been at matches over the course of the weekend, Quinny's going to be in studio around about five past eight. Performance rankings are next, and. Um, We'll hear from Sarah Dunham on the hurling, Anthony Moyles on the football, and Morty McCarthy, a member of the Sultans of Ping FC, is going to join us at 9.15. They're playing a gig in Cork Opera House this weekend. And of course, uh, we have used their music to play out the evening show for at least half a decade at this stage. <coughs> so um, I'm very much looking forward to that. If you have any Sultans of Ping stories that you'd like to share with us in the YouTube comments or indeed at all on Twitter, at OffTheBallAM is the Twitter account and we'd love to hear from you. If there's any of the stories over the course of the uh, last few days that we haven't got to, um, unfortunately we don't have time to do Rashida Adelecki properly on the show this morning, but um, 
that is a global superstar in the making who obviously we've been following closely over the last couple of years and we'll talk about uh, her performance at the weekend when she ran the fastest 400 metres ever by an Irish woman um, in uh, America it wasn't America wasn't it yeah. over the next few days we'll talk about that and um, what else are we missing this morning uh, I think there was a lot, of, lot happening. Wasn't yeah, there? we can gloss over Monaghan, Mayo. We don't need to talk about don't those. Talk about. Sorry, um, the Sultans of Ping is the Sultans of Ping the best band name there has ever been. Like, uh, someone pointed out the Chinese spy balloon would would be a good name for a band, an indie band maybe. But I just think the Sultans of Ping. I, I was in uh, I was on a J one in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Not to tangent away too far too far, but uh, a lot of my my friends who I still follow on Snapchat and Instagram had um, videos. Of the Chinese spy balloon over them, all oh, right. And then, of course, the the stream as it was shot down by the by America or the Air Force. Um, so yeah, it was. It, it appeared to be over South Carolina when it came to its its demise. It's so I was following that story closely. Is South Carolina amazing? Oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. I have the flag of South Carolina tattooed on my ankle. All oh, right. Well, the the palm tree and the moon, which appears on the flag. So fun fact, fun facts on a Tuesday morning, folks. And uh, what else? Uh, what, about, what about Myrtle Beach was so spectacular? Uh, Were you just carrying a golf bag for the summer? No, no, no. I was, I was working in a bar and I was working in a, in a candy store. Two jobs. I was a pretty hard worker. And, and we played hard as well. Let's, let's be honest. It, it, they call it Dirty Myrtle because it's a bit tacky. It's, it, it, it's very tacky, actually. Um, but yeah, when you move away from the coast a little bit and just see the, the other parts of South Carolina, it's, uh, it's quite a nice place to be. <laughs> All right, we're just going to let that float in the ether for a second there. Dirty Myrtle. Yeah. That's, that's your new quiz uh, happy quiz <laughs> yeah. make of that what you will yeah uh, oh, it says Monday on the YouTube stream there you go yeah who's uh, in charge okay, of um, sorry, sorry. All that Bohemian up, 29 there you go uh, YouTube has OTVAM Monday live on it oh yeah alright in charge okay. of that should really um, can't get to people these days it's just uh, <laughs> should really get her but you can from a, no, no, maybe you're taking, uh, taking no blame for that there you go uh, everybody uh, Killian O'More on Bright Eyed except the thumbnail Monday it's you're going to wind everybody up uh, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to wind everybody and their mum up anymore. <laughs> uh, it does, those days are over. Uh, the Netherlands is crap for public holidays, says uh, Deck a thousand land. And if they fall on the weekend, tough luck. No Monday off in lieu. Well, I mean, you know, them's the breaks. That's not great. No, no. That, that, that's that just not harsh. great. That's yeah. far too efficient. Yeah. It's seven thirty-six. It's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. <sighs> You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances with just lack that intensity. Yeah, I knew there was something else we're not going to get uh, time to do properly this morning. Shifty Lad says, The Dublin Racing Festival was a huge success, according to all the podcasts from England yesterday. Credit to everyone involved. Record numbers. Uh, numbers that they haven't seen in 20 years. Record bookmakers, turnovers, and... Uh, Honeysuckle turned over but now potentially going for the mayor's hurdle at Cheltenham and so maybe a swan song uh, at Cheltenham with another success but what an incredible story that's been I don't know with, um, where would you put Honeysuckle like you, 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 put, you can't put a horse that's given so much joy in the red I think it would have been Amber but she doesn't make the cut today so yeah I saw the argument on, on, the, on the TV kind of after the race of the weekend when Stateman did the job wondering you know do you take do you put Honeysuckle into the mayor's hurdle or do you just let her up, go off into the into the sunset because well, you could win you could win the Merit Hurdle and then it's out in a bang but then if, if she goes to the Merit Hurdle and doesn't win it doesn't really matter though well, at this stage yeah. the career is so great already like and there's no there's no questions of health or anything um, I mean I, like we, we've been talking about her for the last number of years and I think the plan was always to run this year and then they'll try and put her in fold and away you go yeah and it's concern of the, ch- the champion hurdle when you see her tail off a little bit and state man pulls, pulls ahead 
that, that of that chasing pack. She was going to kind of move towards the back, but no, I held on for second, which was which an, impre- an impressive showing because it was actually a, a decent con- race. It's been confirmed this morning she's staying in training for the uh, according to Richard Redbolt's. Um, she's staying in training for the mayor's confirmed this morning, and. Um, uh, and we're being threatened by one of our own here. Bobby Dwyer says if Spurs and Kane aren't in the green and switching to second captains, it's not in the green. I mean, we we knew it's like he's he's not getting special medals for delivering the post today. Yeah. Well, come back to me when he's broken like the the actual uh, Greaves record of goals in the top flight. Well, which is 140 more to go. But famously, football <laughs> didn't exist before 1992. Of course, so true. I'd, yeah, I think we have to. You know, Kane's bringing medals to North London. He's like he's now for Arsenal. He's cracked the top thirty of uh, top flight goal scorers. Right, wow! But is he third in the Premier League? Is that it now? Yeah, for sure. And Rooney. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, is he the greatest product of the Arsenal youth system? I saw someone quite questioning at the weekend. <laughs> he possibly is the greatest player to come out of the Arsenal academy. I can't think of any better. I mean, mm. I know that's going to wind up Arsenal fans, but uh, or sorry, it's going to wind up Tottenham fans. Well, I, I, it shouldn't. It should just wind up the Arsenal fans, yeah, really. Yeah, like, yeah. And the whole, um, oh, he's doing this for Arsenal. It's like, oh, uh, season, season not over. It's turning into a pretty good season. Anyway, we better get into this, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. do it. So every week we put uh, stuff in the red, stuff in the amber, stuff in the green. It's hard to find the amber sometimes. Mm. We nearly shoehorned Irish rugby into the amber this week, but we didn't do it. <laughs> I, think, I think we're stretching with the amber myself this week, even though it's my idea. But let's go. Yeah, we'll start with the, uh, with the red. And it's, it was a definite red weekend on and off the pitch for Manchester City. The Premier League have declared war on Manchester City uh, out of the weekend. The biggest ever scandal. Champions charged with over 100 rule breaches. And, uh, I mean, if this goes the full shebang, City could be stripped of titles. They could be relegated. Um, they will certainly could be, could be fined a lot of money. Uh, City claiming uh, innocence on all of this. So this is a, a four-year investigation. 100 breaches of financial rules uh, committed uh, allegedly between 2009 and 2018. And they've also accused the Premier League of uh, City not cooperating since the investigation started back in December of 2018. And of course, City denied it. They had a meeting on Monday with staff, said they, they expect this to go away. They were surprised by the charges and supported, quote, by a body of irrefutable evidence. So uh, as I said, uh, the range of punishments, lads, here is, uh, is fairly wide. Uh, of course, we're putting them in the red uh, as well because of the, uh, the loss to, sit, uh, to Spurs of the weekend. But really, these financial rule uh, irregularities or alleged ones are... Um, Pretty worrying for Man City fans and for the club, you'd imagine. They don't do anything in small measure. It had to be one fifteen, right? Charges. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, lot. Excessive. It's systemic and ongoing. Is is essentially what they're being charged with, and it's been happening since the very start. Uh, you'll remember that they were charged with uh, by your by UEFA of uh, breaches a couple of years back, and then they took the case all the way to the Court of Arbitration mm. for Sport, and they won that. And they viewed that as a victory for them and putting the matter to bed. But obviously, that was the European stuff. The uh, local English stuff, it turns out, is um, equally important. And they don't have recourse to the Court of Arbitration for Sport this time. So it'll be the London courts that they've got to go to. And again, very interesting to see how that all plays out because uh, an independent panel is going to be appointed to judge the allegations that are made against City. We don't know when that's going to happen. The timing of this has all been accused of being politically motivated. Mm. Uh, City didn't hear about it in advance. Some journalists heard about it first, shockingly. Imagine some people doing their jobs and um, breaking stories. That's how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. And uh, once the independent commission here, they'll make their adjudication and then it could go to the... um, 
the commercial courts in London. So this story could actually be 18 months. We, we could be two, two years away before yeah. finding the end of the story and being able to firmly say these are the regulations that they breached here, here, here and here and these are the appropriate penalties. However, the stink around Manchester City now because of this, well, that is deep-seated and that's, there was always a sense that something, there's something wrong about the amount of money that they're able to spend on everything all the time. Mm. Now, I, I have a similar sense that like there's something wrong about all the money that's being spent at the moment generally uh, by other clubs, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But um, let's wait and see how they have disrupted the financial markets because, you know, oh, we're disruptors, we can do this. It's like, well, okay, if you can, if you can do it legally, show us how. You would, you would want the Premier League, if these charges are found or any of the charges are found to be uh, legitimate, they'd, you'd want them to come down hard because... This can't happen in football. I mean, uh, Bonnie Rone wrote a great piece in The Guardian on this where he's talking about the fact that sport only works if it's on a level playing field, which seems an obvious thing to say. But if there are clubs that are uh, allegedly cheating in this way financially, I mean, it's, it's one of the easiest ways to, to breed success is to kind of skip the rules a little bit here and there. They're saying it's, it's going to put an asterisk beside the Aguero moment forever if, uh, if it's proven that at that point... They were uh, guilty of breaching the financial rules. Yeah, and like the, the rules are so vast and wide-ranging. For anyone who has, hasn't really tuned into this story, um, so some of the, the charges, so you're, you're talking about failing to provide accurate financial information over sponsorship revenue, which is some of it, not disclosing managers' true salary is other parts of it. Um, but Why would they not just have like, said what the salary was? So uh, essentially, because it's going to have an impact on their financial fair <coughs> play, is that it? It's like, I assume there's knock-on effects. Uh, we, we've overspent on our manager. It's funny because in, in uh, American football, the amount you spend on the coaches doesn't actually compete, doesn't count against your cap. So you, again, that you could have an arms race there and I don't know, maybe football, it was like an oversight. It's like, well, why don't we just allow us to pay the, the best managers whatever we want? Mm. Like, it's because it's, it's linked to um, your... Uh, turnover and profit and profitability uh, over a period of time. Financial fair play was deliberately opaque so that the best clubs would be able to manipulate it originally anyway. Yeah. And, um, and if Man City, it, it, if it turns out that Man City were unable of uh, unable to finesse that, then they just weren't paying attention. Now that's uh, you know that's bad enough. Yeah. Uh, it it like there's a lot of sympathy around this morning. I noticed for. Manchester City from fans of other clubs they really feel like that plucky underdog is just not getting a <laughs> fair crack of the whip yeah well look if, if this goes as bad as it could possibly go for Man City it could be a case of do you know those great clubs the, the clubs that were in the Premier League once, once upon a time and went all the way down Preston to, North End well yeah the, yeah. the clubs that just went, went. Um, look we, you've seen it happen in the North when clubs go into administration like Range or uh, up in, in Scotland like Rangers um, Clubs can come back. Freudian slip there, Shane. <laughs> the north. Yeah, uh, the north of, of the UK, of course. Um, <laughs> but it, it, clubs can bounce back. But um, if, if these, if 115 rules are found to have been breached, I mean, City should be slapped very, very hard on the wrists. You make a good point, though. Will they? That's the thing. If we could go, as you say, it could take 18 months to two years, Chair, yeah. and we could go through all of this and go through the nitty-gritty of what it is they actually breached and then the punishment and the sentence hand down mightn't even correlate and it, like, it'll be kind of like what's happening with uh, Will Still at, at Ross and the, okay it could be a fine they could be dock points they could look at that as price of doing business 
look, as long as we can, it's just a cost we're going to have to incur. Here's the point. I think you make a good point that they, they qualify for all those Champions Leagues. They've invested all this money in their youth system, which is now starting to produce footballers at a very high level. They, they hoovered up all the best young talent and they have now become sustainable in recent years where they can sell players for high amounts of money who are uh, England internationals and, and um, top quality internationals around the world. And their net spend over the last couple of seasons hasn't been that much because obviously you inject the, the billion into the club and you run it properly and then you, you, you've you used that as a competitive advantage. So it might just be the cost of doing business that they get stripped of some of these titles. But if they get relegated, it's very difficult to come back from that quickly. Mm, like that, yeah. would be, that would be a, a, a proper punishment if, the, uh, if this is proven. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Will, will Pep Guardiola be happy being associated with this club in this moment? when these allegations are made or will he come out fighting and say this is all nonsense I've, I've been given access to all the, the stuff that uh, we put forward for the European campaign uh, in the courts in the Court of Arbitration for Sport and I've seen all that and I trust the people and I'm here for the long haul or you know I mean I mean yeah they could dig their heels in they could be like you know even if they are found if they were found guilty it could be a a Lance Armstrong job keeps the keep the keep the six Premier League trophies on the museum wall. Uh, that's it. And what if they win the Champions League this year? Does Pep walk away then and say, "Well, I, I've looked into it and I need to preserve my integrity, and I'm stepping away"? Um, or does he step away because you know his his there are no more mountains to climb? Yeah. Um, I think that the there's no actual um, stripping them will be very difficult. Yeah according to the bits that I've seen today and again you're kind of just trying to piece it together from the different reporting uh, they could there is a um, an uh, underexplained kind of flabby piece of language which allows you to do whatever is deemed necessary to maintain the reputation of um, the competition mm. so they could under that go well this this is so egregious that we're, we're taking back the, the trophies but very difficult to do I think it, the other thing is that um, there's no sympathy from the other Premier League clubs here. And so they all are looking at this going, if City are found to have breached the rules that we followed, well, then they have to pay. Mm-hmm. And that will be the bit where the court case is taken by City against whatever findings are. And then all the rest of the clubs will go, screw you, I'm sorry, but we would have qualified for Europe and we would have had those young players and we would have been the ones who were able to sell hundreds of millions of sponsorship mm. to, um, you know, those companies who were interested in uh, getting involved so the mad part of it was that as you said Jerry, the surprise that City got apparently this was delivered these legal papers were delivered by a courier on Monday to the Etihad I imagine being that courier I was no idea possibly what, uh, <laughs> what he's delivering he is literally delivering legal papers to Manchester City over 115 alleged breaches so I'd have loved to have seen that do you reckon it happens like uh, in the US TV shows where it's like you've been served and they use a sort of weird chicanery to get the paper into their hand because really that's dramatic. how they serve them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. hey I've got, I've, got, I've got I don't know I don't know what you'd be giving to those people <laughs> at Man City who have literally everything that uh, money can buy in the world uh, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day what's next yeah next we'll move on to, uh, to Liverpool who had a, a bad weekend it has to be said um, they're having a lot of bad weekends recently Jurgen Klopp getting increasingly tetchy I've noticed in, in the post-match press conferences but you can kind of understand it, given the results. A 3-0 defeat to Wolves at the weekend. Uh, the first 12-15 minutes of that game were abysmal. As bad a performance early on in a match as you'll see from a team. Um, Liverpool haven't won a Premier League game yet in 2023. Uh, third time in a row Liverpool have lost away from home in the league. I mean, Jimmy Carragher was, was on, was on uh, the telly at the weekend after the game and 
kind of backing Jurgen Klopp, saying there's no there's no chance that anyone else comes in and, and takes over from him. But, and I don't think that narrative has moved that direction yet, that Klopp is not the man for the job. But certainly, there's a lot of negativity around the team. Uh, Joel Matip was crap. Um, I mean, we, if you watch back a couple of the goals, it's not just the concession of three goals against Wolves. It's the manner of the goals. They were they were asleep for most of them. <laughs> like the defendant, it's like they just the the chasm in midfield that opened up for for some of the the goals, and there was chances for Wolves as well to maybe score more goals in that game. Um, you'd be concerned. Uh, Darwin Nunez not scoring goals, still not scoring goals. He had a few chances one on one at the weekend that that he couldn't take. Um, but I don't know. Is Klopp in denial a little bit? Because some of the comments after the match, and I'm just reading some of them here in front of me. He's talking about you know the first twelve minutes, of course, being horrible. Um, but then he kind of backtracked a little bit and said, you know, later on in the game, the other seventy-eight minutes were were actually okay. Uh, the opening twenty-five minutes of the second half, he said, were brilliant. But I mean, that's that's kind of a bit of a stretch. Mo Salah isn't doing Mo Salah things. He's that 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 ex- expectation that he's going to bend the ball into the far left corner with that left foot just doesn't happen anymore. So all these little things that, that made Liverpool so great over previous seasons just aren't there. Um, and they look a little bit broken as a football club on the pitch at the moment. Tired, maybe, is the word. Well, maybe. you know, I think you're right in terms of um, Klopp maybe not seeing what's in front of him. And um, in terms of delusional managers, we'll get to Leeds in a sec. But um, <laughs> do, we, do we not give enough credit to the other teams that are actually putting performances against Liverpool? I think Wolves were quite good, even if the third goal was... Like shambolic defending, mm. and the other teams they've lost to, like Brighton and Brentford, um, they've been quite good too, and like are resurgent. So I think we also have to give credit to the teams who are putting performances against them, yeah. even if it's against a team. They've hammered Liverpool, though. It hasn't been like a, you know, those games have all been one-sided. Mm. It's not like it doesn't feel like Liverpool are in these games. It's because of the drop-off in previous seasons. The level we expect of Liverpool... That was nine points chalked down at the start of the season. They'll win that, they'll win that, they'll win that. Yeah. And those nine points are the difference between them being in the hunt for Champions League place. Mm. Um, I, I, I do think this season is really interesting. Like, it, It's possible we're going to have a proper title race. And this stuff around City, like, the players' agents are going to be going, uh, it, what happens if we get relegated You know, off the field? Does my... Do all my... Do I... Do I get paid less? Mm. How does that work? I mean, if we if we get relegated in because performances on the field, I understand that I'm going to get paid less if I have to play a season in the championship to get them back up. But like, I didn't do anything wrong. I I fulfilled my part of it. So you can see how they might be weak. Arsenal might be Arsenal. We don't know after the performance at the weekend. <laughs> um, and so there are teams definitely improving. Is is my point? But at the same time, Liverpool are abject. Yeah. Like I'd love to hear from the Liverpool fans because. It was the, oh, Sadio Mane's energy and the creative tension he had with Mo Salah, that's gone. And then it was like, well, the midfielder are no good because they haven't signed anybody, but they're all on big contracts. Mm. And now it's the defence are also shite. And like, literally, <laughs> everything is bad. Yeah. So at that point, you're going, it's, something else is happening here. Something... Is, what, what, Liverpool fans? Let's be having you. Something pretty grim. Is, is there actually no universe in which uh, Liverpool get rid of Jurgen Klopp? Like... Is it, does he have so much credit in the bank that no? There's the only that did, like you he win, has to step aside. You win. He has to want to go. Mm. Like and it hasn't reached that point. I don't think you know if if they if they honestly believe that they could sign Jude Bellingham in the summer, 
uh, there's no way he's going to go. I mean, I think he thinks that he's got forwards who will at some point gel and maybe they sell Salah in the summer and that relationship is over and they use a bit of that money to reinvest. I don't know, but like... Um, I think I think Sadio Mane was so, so important and sometimes you only know what you got till it's gone. Ah, but that's like one tiny part of it. Why is everybody else playing shite? Well, yeah. Do you um, know, like... It, whatever about the press that Sadio Mane had and his goal scoring like okay you take that out of the team it's very important but at the same time they still have players who like Sadio Mane missed some big games over the years because of injury missed portions of the season because of injury they were fine they were still they weren't incredible but like even Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andy Robertson who once bombed up and down defend, uh, wings raiding teams like they just look afraid to do it now afraid is probably actually the perfect word there's just a little bit of fear in this Liverpool team at the moment and when you start to lose games and you keep losing games one after the other the fear just mounts and pressure mounts I'm looking at the, 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 the top five lads for the next permanent Liverpool manager the odds you've got Ange Postecoglou in fifth Julian Nagelsmann as the uh, fourth favourite Stevie Gerrard 9-2 third favourite I will lay you oh. any money Stevie Gerrard will not be <laughs> no not a chance whatever odds you want folks Tommy Tuchel is the second favourite of 4-1 and the 5-2 favourite is Pep Linders to be next permanent I don't think they're going to give Pep Linders the job to step up are they? I, I wouldn't have thought so but if they want continuity maybe that's that's the thinking from the bookies but Could we just also have a minute for like Klopp's ridiculous I'm not going to answer that question I'm not going to I'm not going to yeah. talk to you and then also somebody else that's the bit where the whole press corps is supposed to stand up and walk out like yeah, solidarity yeah like yeah. there's definitely a bit where you're not just uh, that all made me feel uncomfortable but um like, that's ridiculous behaviour. Just answer the question and go, yeah, you know, and explain to everybody else why you don't think this person is worthy of answering. What is it specifically that caused you to think, okay, you're not worthy of, even though you're here in a work capacity, I don't have to answer you? Because it's like, mm. I mean, whatever the story was that pissed you off, talk about that and address it, or counteract it. Uh, but I don't know, that's a bit where... So I don't think the, there's any world in which FSG say, OK, you're not our guy because he's so spectacularly important and clearly one of the best managers over the last two decades. Now, maybe there's just a natural peak in his cycle and his that peak is over and he's got to go again and maybe he'll do that somewhere else. But when that stuff starts happening, you can't pull the Alex Ferguson bully and ban people from your press conferences the way you used to just get away with it mm-hmm. you can't do that anymore because the world has moved on and it's those type of things that where it just becomes like oh, I don't really need this I don't need this I don't need this yeah so his press conferences have reached have reached uh, Klopp, epic proportions of Klopp yeah, Kloppism yeah it's real Hurricane Nettie when Ned Flanders kind of loses the rag yeah. feels what's happened to our fallen angel <laughs> so okay. Liverpool, Liverpool fans won't be happy we'll move on to, to the Amber because another club uh, club's fan base who won't be happy this morning and plenty of them in Ireland or Leeds United uh, Ted Lasso I mean um, Jesse Marsh has been relieved of his duties I'm sure he is probably relieved to be out of the club um, given how things have gone recently for them but uh, seven games without a Premier League victory for Leeds United Jesse Marsh of course replacing Marcelo Bielsa it was never an easy job to have to take over February of last year uh, losing 1-0 to Nottingham Forest at the weekend and that was, that was all she wrote for Jesse Marsh at the club uh, the statement from the club Jesse joined the club in February 2022 and was instrumental in keeping the club in the Premier League in the final day of last season but I mean where, where do they turn to now Leeds United as a football club I, I often find when you, when you sack a, like it's February season ends in May like do you not just hold on hold firm things are going to come good relegation is probably in my opinion now a certainty for Leeds <laughs> like, I, think, I think they're going to go down then they can't be in the amber 
Well, like at least play along with this bit. Why, yeah. Okay, so so <laughs> we'll put them in the amber because, because there's a the hope that they might slip. get a Sean Dyche bounce. Yeah, bounce. exactly. But they're not going to get Sean Dyche. Like, who do they go to? Seventeenth. Um, they're still they're still out of the relegation zone. I should say only on goal difference. Yeah, tied um, with Everton. Funnily enough, Carlos Corbin, obviously. Yeah, well, that's <clears> the most Premier League appointment ever. Uh, probably the most Leeds United appointment ever. Cameron, you're a Leeds United fan. Mm. Where do they go now? <laughs> I, where do they where, go? Where do now? they go from here? Um, I don't know. It's very hard. I see. The thing about Jesse that's really, really interesting is that the team weren't playing terribly. The narrative for the last couple of weeks is they've been playing quite well and, oh, they've been putting in good performances, but it's just not turning into results. Mm. I think a lot of that is the fact that the players have gotten like in better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For um for one of a better phrase. Um Patrick Bamford's back from injury and he's been struggling and he seems to be in fine form. We've got Nanto, um Rutter was a signing that uh that really shows promise, even though his Bundesliga record wouldn't have inspired anybody, but mm. this season at least. Um there's still a lot to be kind of positive about from the player front and it seems just that like they were tactically inept, and you can you watch them, and it doesn't look great. The defense they can't keep their shape at all. Yeah. Um. The Brentford game for me was the most frustrating game in recent memory because they just kept going through the middle in terms of their attack. Harrison kept getting in Nanto's way, and they just kept pushing, doing the definition of insanity, repeating that through the middle, which Brentford just flooded with their defenders. So there is a sort of lack of game smarts there. And, you know, you always think it's such a backhanded compliment when people see Marsh going and go, well, decent guy. Yeah. Really, really nice. Really fond of him. But it just hasn't it just hasn't worked. Um, and Corberan might bring back some of the BL's optimism and uh, that sort of attacking thrust that they need because apparently some of the players weren't very happy with how Jesse was approaching games tactically. But to answer your question, where do they go from here? Oh, I don't know. Well, there's a danger with Coburn too because you like you got to look at okay, great manager in the in the championship. He's doing great things at West Brom, but look at Nathan Jones at Southampton. I mean, he was a great manager in the championship. But the Premier League is a different kettle of fish. It's tough. Was he great in the championship? I mean, ah, uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, okay. he says he's one of the best managers in Europe. Nathan Jones getting the the, the boot as well. Apparently, mm. uh, I was recruited to do certain things. Says Nathan Jones after his team got hammered again, six defeats in seven Premier League games. I was recruited to do certain things, and I don't see my team in there. I've pandered a little bit. Uh oh! If it's not your teammate, whose team is it? Passing the book. So apparently, the board are like, "What, mm. Nathan? Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, all right. Let's see. Going against Wolves, and so they got Wolves, and then he's going to get fired after that. So um, it's coming to a bit weak, I think. It took a long time for them to start second managers this mm. season in the Premier League, but when they did. Yeah, oh, they were up there with the best of them. Not in single spies. It's going to be a, a vintage year. Yeah, it's like the Dublin bus. So that's where Leeds. That's where Leeds belong, I think, in the amber. Because oh, fair enough. Yeah. You think they're they're in the red? You're they hoping that they might be somehow able to turn it around. I, I think. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. It's guaranteed they're going down. Mm. I still think there's loads of loads of people who could get sucked into that. Yeah. Well, their next two games, they've got a double header against Manchester United, uh, starting tomorrow night. Should be great fun. That's going to be interesting. Is United. one of them a cup game though? Both league. Both league. Both league. rearranged. Yeah. Right. So I think the Queen's passing led to all these. Yes. Was that, was that this season? Yeah. I know, yeah. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so. What a year. Yeah. Wow. Some year, lads. Some year. You forget there's a World Cup in the middle of it all too. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so we'll get to the green, uh, the positive stories. Irish rugby has to be in the green. 
Uh, yeah, we were kind of debating whether we put it in the amber. That would have been a bit unfair. Just because of the injuries. That's just because of the injuries. And, the yeah. and also, we just don't want to get too excited too early. The hype train is choo-choo. And we're like, oh my God, this is terrible. We're uh, so good. We're so bloody can good. Just, can we just stop that crap? Because as an Irish nation, what, what, like, why are we so afraid? It's like anytime, history. History. Yeah, but anytime we talk about Evan Ferguson on this show or things that, that we're excited about, we get slaughtered. Oh, stop it. Stop getting so excited with yourselves. Ireland could win the World Cup. Let's be honest. Oh, Shane! Could. No, Shane. Shane, number Shane. one in the world. Mouth out with soap and water. Oh, we're number one in the world. Stop it. Stop. The, some of the Welsh press are calling us all black esque. Um, <laughs> well, like we didn't even they're play well. They're just suckering you. Yeah. That's all they're doing. They're right. setting you up for a fall. We beat Wales and yeah. Cardiff for the first time yeah. in ten years by twenty-four points, oh. and we didn't play that well. Uh, hot take. Like, we're the best team in the world at the minute. This is. Like Ireland looked in the mirror today at Fortune's teeth marks still in its ass. But why are we so afraid Gordon. of this? Get your stick down. Like, I heard Gordon Darcy after the match and he made a very good point. So Ashton was talking to Paul O'Connell last week about the fact that his great Irish team and Darcy's and Rogers and all that, that, that era, they didn't really lean into the whole we're really good at the minute thing. Whereas this Irish team, this is a coach Andy Farrell who has said he's met with Alex Ferguson and Mikel Arteta and people who breed success and... Uh, continue success they don't just get to the top but they want to stay there and be, be mentally okay with being the best team in the world or being uh, constantly Arteta great Arteta hasn't done it yet no Arteta hasn't yeah. done it yet but he could win the Premier League and he's yeah. worked under Pep and he's had success yeah. but that I think is the difference in this Irish team and Irish, uh, great Irish teams of, of times gone by that won Grand Slams I hope you're they, right they're okay with being at the top I think I think Joe Schmidt's uh, team were okay at being at the top I, I definitely remember pre-World Cup the Ireland team in 07 were like oh we're going there to win it and then yeah, but the same weaknesses came up in World Cups they were a great team under Schmidt but the same weaknesses came up in the World Cup they can't get past that last day phase I, I think if Ireland get past the last day have you seen our group of death yeah. all of a sudden Scotland aren't shite anymore yeah. all in the top five but we shouldn't fear anyone we, <laughs> we don't fear, fear them but like That's the, this is the point now the way Ireland are playing just don't just have you no, just have jinxed no it now your fault officially but, it's see, your fault I'm not a superstitious person anyway so that's all a load of crap but <laughs> just let us believe we could win the World Cup we could yeah. there's no reason not to believe uh, anything Shane, Shane is uh, th- th- sorry people say in the comments I'm jinxing I'm jinxing nothing sorry whether or not we win the World Cup is not to do with me sitting here in a corner in a studio in Dublin uh, saying they're going to win the World for Cup the viewers, in February Shane is just consciously he's conscious of the fact that he tipped Ireland to win the World Cup in the crystal ball but actually yeah you did ok there you go um, stand so, by <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we trashed Wales and Cardiff yeah, but Let's it's a shite Wales. Yeah, it's a shite Wales. In the first half, they were it was they were a bunch of allies. In the second half, they started to remember what they were supposed to do. Now, I definitely think we took our foot off completely. A little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, that was. I um, think we beat the French this weekend, and then then the hype train really falls uh, out from the station. Well, let's see. Yeah. Let's see. Quinny's standing by. We'll talk to him in a minute about that. Uh, if you're watching this on podcast, then make sure you subscribe to the OTB Rugby feed to hear his thoughts. What else is in the green? Yeah, last one the green. Um, we're going to lump them in together. They, they never really get paired together, these two, but they're, they're friends down in Munster. Friends is a stretch. Uh, Cork and Kerry um, both had a great weekend in terms of Gaelic games. Manchester Cork first, uh, the hurlers, of course, with a one-point win over Limerick. Uh, I mean, talking about hype trains, it's early in the season. Well, they were double scores down at half-time. Yeah. That's, why, that's why we're talking about that. Attitude. Proper attitude yeah. from, from Cork, uh, yeah. you have to say. And then the footballers, Jerry, I don't know if you want to really touch on this, but they were very, very dominant in the win over Kildare in Division 2. In Newbridge. In Newbridge as well. Yeah, um, kind of hockey Kildare. Yeah, and James Dunne, who was on the football pod with, with Tommy and uh, Paddy recently enough at the start of the season, saying Cork were, the, were his surprise package for the season. Yeah. Kind of see. It dropped early this week, so you can hear... Um, I'm sure he's like the cat that got the cream this week. I was like, well, it's just a week early. Yeah, look how right I was. Um, but, I mean, if you're a Cork fan, in, in terms of Gaelic games, generally speaking, this morning... 
Seven points for Kildare at home is not is not a great return, is it? We're um, talking about Cork here, Shane. Sorry, we're talking about Cork. We'll, yeah. we'll forget about them. One six to no score up in the twenty eighth minute. They went on to score two fourteen in that match. It was a dominant game. You can't read too much into these games massively in Division Two because they're so, it's so tight that like. There's going to be nothing between the team that wins Division Two and the teams that get relegated points wise. Like, you do want to be hockey up. in the opposition, though. That's a good. That's a yeah. good scenario for them to be in. And we've been talking about the Red Storm rising for the last decade, really, since uh, they started to produce all those great underage mm. teams. So there's a slew of talent. It looks like everything off the pitch is is working for both the hurlers and the footballers. They've got a really progressive county board. They know exactly what they're doing. Everybody is aligned, and um, I think you know. Fear the fear the red menace that is Cork. They're yeah. coming for you. I can 100%. hear Boohig purring <laughs> from wherever he is in the world right now. Yeah, he's probably someone, I think. Uh, the the um, the fact that like Brian Cleary would be very very uh, happy with his Cork footballers conceding three against Mead last week and to concede none against Kildare. This clearly, I mean, you can't sort defensive frailties out in, in one week, but. Clearly, not conceding goals is a very good way to win a match in Gaelic football. We're burying the lead here, though. Yeah, uh, Kerry. It turns out Kerry have a new Vunderkind. David Clifford, your time here as the uh, greatest footballer in the Kerry full forward line was uh, brief, dynamic and short, but you burned like a Roman candle. And now it turns out there's somebody else. Yeah, he was in the crowd watching David Clifford, mouth agape, probably just because he was eating a twister or some other lollipop in the stands. But not Donald Down O'Sullivan. Um, this is a man... Kerry fans are very, very excited about. I don't think we're overstating it. I think like this is, as you said, Jar Wunderkind, there is something to this lad. Uh, at club level, I mean, there was a club game earlier in the year. Uh, he plays for Kilgarvan. He's the first ever, and this is a proud moment, I think the club tweeted a lovely tweet at the weekend, first ever Kilgarvan footballer to play, to line out for, for Kerry's senior team. Um, he scored 2.13 for his club in a, in a game in which they scored 2.15 in the novice final uh, not not so long ago it's not bad it's not bad um, and Dara Roach is another as well in that full forward line who I've been very impressed with I, saw, I watched him against Donegal last week even though they lost he was brilliant uh, and similarly against Monaghan he just looked he just looked bigger than everyone you know, uh, but Donal is Donal is young he has a lot he has got time on his hands this is their Conor Callaghan moment this is, this is I mean if, if, if you're all Ireland champions how do you push on the next year well you find one or two quality players and Kerry have done that like at this stage Kerry are 100% the favourites for the All-Ireland like there's no doubt about it the hype train uh, after the first week we opened Donegal and it's like ah, oh, this is but it was just the, just the first game back Yeah, first game at home they're like oh no we've got we've got new superstars here don't worry about it yeah with Donald uh, Donald Down scored 1-3 against Monaghan now albeit the Monaghan defence it's a young Monaghan team at the moment they, they opened up a couple of times for them and um, uh, Paulie Clifford came off the bench to score a goal One of the, it was a great goal but I mean the defence opened up for him he ran most of the length of the pitch to finish it off but um, yeah Donald Down he's a very impressive talker I thought as well he spoke uh, on TG Carr after the game and had his, has his head screwed on for a young lad playing his first match you would need to if you're going to try and force your way into the Kerry full forward line uh, <laughs> you know after they've just um, won the All-Ireland you'd need to be fairly screwed on otherwise 100% just get burned out but like um we will talk about this in more detail a little bit later on with Anthony Moyes, but keep an eye on, on Donald Down, and um, they're very excited about it. Oh. So, Kerry in the green. Very well-deserved. Cementing green. their place at the top of the uh, power rankings as well. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the week. It's uh, nine minutes past eight. That is this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. Up next, Alan Quinlan. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. 
Right, Alan Quillen's with us. We were just in the ad break there. What, what are we going to talk about? The 20s, we, lots to get too carried away. But um, uh, Kim Prendergast's little brother is playing 10 for our Ireland in the under-20s. Let's no, get carried away. Let's get carried away. His little big brother. Yeah, he's 6'4". 6'4", six, six, four. Six, four, yeah. 6'4", Yeah, it's very... Um, Sonny Bill Williams was tweeting about him. Now, World Rugby were, like, calling him Sonny Bill Williams, which is a little bit of pressure, I would say, from World Rugby. <coughs> it's amazing. That, that's our though, job, World Rugby. It's amazing, really, that um, we often debate... Um, and it, we saw incredible games in the in the senior games over the weekend, lots of attack and great excitement. But sometimes we have periods in the game where it's bland and it's kicking and it's defence and and it's been a real challenge in the professional era. Defensive coaches <clears throat> very important part of the game if you're a player and if you're a coach. But the way the game is gone, you do a twenties game, uh Dave and myself were there Friday night doing the commentary for Virgin and um it's excitement, it's not overthinking it, it's trying to play what's in front of you. Obviously you have a structure and stuff and uh, that was a great game. Some of the tries, way, the Welsh backs were outstanding. Um, Louis um, uh, Hennessy, it's a pity he's not Irish, he's with Bath, incredible player of 13 for Wales, some really good backs. Ireland were under a lot of pressure early on in that game. Um, <clears throat> I was blown away how big they were. Um, second rows, Dermot Mangan, Conor O'Tierney, uh, and then the back row, McNabney, Ruan Quinn and Brian Gleeson. These guys are... Bigger than you. Yeah, well, way <laughs> bigger. Yeah, and incredibly fit and strong and athletic. But um, there was plenty of kind of mistakes in the game by, by both sides. And worryingly enough, Ireland ended up in 15-14 at half time. It could have been more to Wales, but great response in the second half. But some really exciting, big players in that side and uh, it was a great game to be at Hugh Cooney at 13 great footwork um, James Nicholson he went on to the wing scored two tries so great win for them and uh, some really strong physical players coming through from the 20s it's Sam Prendergast is the brother who plays at 10 is that right? oh Sam yeah yeah, yeah Sam Prendergast yeah, yeah. Um, another Kildare I just want to just, I just want to yeah, briefly point this out. So there's him and there's Osborne and there's Jimmy O'Brien. At some stage in the next couple of years, and of course uh, Joey Carby. At some stage in the next couple of years, because they're going to have the entire backline for the Ireland rugby team. And meanwhile, go. the Gaelic football team are like, come on, lads. Could, <laughs> could some of the younger Osborne brothers just decide to pick Gaelic football and we'd all be happy? And Paul O'Connell's nephew off the bench, Evan O'Connell, or he's he's um, yeah his nephew. He came off the bench. Frankie Sheehan had two. Nephews on the, the bench, yeah, Danny Sheehan and uh, and Jacob Sheehan. So, um, yeah, it's uh, what, what, what's a good barometer of success though? Like, how many many of the twenties do you want to see coming through? Obviously, you want to see as many as possible coming through. But how many would you expect to see coming through to the senior setup? When you look back on the teams who've won Grand Slams or gone deep in World Cups, it's always four or five who are coming through. That, mm. yeah, and they, now they it's not every year that you get four yeah. or five, but. We've all, at this level, sometimes you say physically are they kind of ready for the step up, you know? And uh, there's some of these guys are physically could play now. Uh, the number eight, Brian Leeson. Honestly, he's only not, he's still under 19s. Like he's oh, where's he from? Massive. He's from Tipperary. All oh, right. As you you're boosting about uh, there you go. boasting about Kildare. <laughs> he's tip man. Yeah, he's uh, number eight playing with Gary Owen. He's only 19. Taking the dubs out of it, who'd have He's the best huge. sevens side? There should be a county sevens competition. <laughs> <laughs> and Ruin Quinn, who's played, he was the youngest ever debutant for Munster, Munster. back against Zebra in, in September. Um, he was the seven. Um, uh, James McNabney, the other back row, 
honestly the carries constant from from all three of them they were they were they were absolutely brilliant we're not allowed on the show by our, our uh, watchers and listeners to get too excited about the the hype that's coming up um so let's move to the senior team just to puncture the hype we were pretty good we were very good i think yeah. the start was was um was superb the efficiency the accuracy and everything they were doing um the variety the width to to where they were attacking even though off line out scrums um you know, superb, superb at the at the early parts again. And Wales couldn't do anything about it. Were they sluggish and slow to the blocks? Yes, they were. Um, I think the t- pace and tempo <coughs> that Ireland played with was um, was really, really, really good. I think collectively they just work. They're so well organised and they know what each player is doing inside and outside in attack and defence. So. Very, very cohesive. The worrying part, obviously, was that that period in the second half. There was always going to be um, a response from Wales. Um, they were facing a, a humiliating loss, and they 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 gained some pride back, which is understandable. I think the twenty minutes probably went was a bit too long for Ireland to be to lose control of it. Their discipline, you know, was poor. And if France are looking at it, or the other teams in the Six Nations, Scotland. They'll see some opportunities there. That kind of twenty-minute period, yeah. they'll they'll it will be reviewed by the other nations, and you you'll see some chances there. You do wonder how much of that is because Ireland naturally are defending a lead that they know is largely unassailable. The game barring, is over. Yeah, it, it definitely feels over, right? It's, it's unless Wales come out straight after half time and score two quick tries, and they get back into the into the teens, and there's ten, twelve, fourteen points in it. Then you're saying. Next score is going to decide yeah. what's going to happen, but it never got to that point. Twenty-seven ten when they scored, when Liam Williams scored, and then they got the penalty from the restart. Really crucial moment. Andrew Porter, you know, on Liam Williams for the try. If you look at it again, there's nothing really in it at all. There's oh, it's no supposed to be yellow card, says Scotland. I'm like, hang on a second. Look, in fairness, if he looks at that afterwards and sees the replays, he slides along the ground. There's no swinging arm. He's trying. To, he's a second late. The reaction from the Welsh players was way, way too much. But they were fired up at that stage. Yeah. They get the penalty from there's the... There's a fair bit of diving going on, isn't there, in, in rugby at yeah, the moment? Yeah, there is a little bit. Um Liam Williams on the Henderson one. I think the Welsh were questioning Johnny Sexton. How big a hit was it from Liam Williams? I thought a penalty was enough, um, to be honest. And that's, at the time, I think I said it in commentary, I think, you know, letter the law, it's the yellow is there. But I think it's a harsh one. I think it's, even though he, it's top of the shoulder, top of the arm, um, but from that restart, that penalty that they got after Liam Williams tried, they kicked down to the 22 and crooked line out. That was the time, win the line out. Creep another three points maybe out of it, get a penalty kick, you know. Yeah. Suddenly the crowd are really, really winding up, whereas crooked throw Scrum Ireland, they were able to get out again. Yeah. But the game management could have been a bit better at that period of time. What um, could we have done differently? Like what, when you say, well, look, it's easy in hindsight uh, on the run. They're back in what they're doing and they're trying to build phases. And I just thought some of the kicking could have been better. And tactically, we could have used James Lowe a little bit to get some distance in the kicks, not putting it up in the air. Um, but we didn't have a lot of ball. The possession was starved. So I think the possession starts completely swung around to 65, 70% was now with Wales in that second half. Um, 
So just when when, the, when you're giving away the penalties, I think, and look, some of them were very marginal, like some of the Welsh ones in the first half, but you've got to be squeaky clean in that moment. It's easier said than done when the pressure is on. Don't make it more difficult. Uh, try and force a mistake. Let them you know, keep battering away, but and eventually they'll break down and we'll get a turnover. But I just thought a couple of them were, were soft. They'll know that themselves. Um, so it's, it's sometimes it can be really difficult, um, but it's a good period for Ireland as regards, you know, checking in on the resilience, on their defensive setup, on their fitness, all that kind of stuff, mental strength. Um, so they can, you can take a lot out of that as well. Can we take a moment for Hugo Keenan? I mean, like he's become so important in that Irish setup, and his performance was brilliant. Like he was just on top of everything, his high fielding, try saving at one point in the first half as well. Um, he just he adds something really comforting. There's just a, a knowledge of calm when he's when he's in the in the, in the Irish setup, and uh, I mean he was impervious the weekend. Superb and and so consistent, Shane. I think he's um, he's underrated. I think not by the Irish yeah, players, no, and and you know, um, but. I listened to Will Greenwood yesterday, who's a World Cup winner with England, and obviously if I was debating something with, with someone, if you were de- telling me about back rows, I'd back myself to say, well, mm. I, I could really, really back myself there. He's a back. He's played at the top level. Will Greenwood won, won a lot. He thinks Hugo Keenan is the best full back in the world at the moment. And it's when you think about it, it's hard to argue. And, and um, he's so consistent rarely makes a mistake he's running game he, and he's not this just good in the air and Mr. Reliable kicking the ball into touch and being really safe defender his attacking game is superb Yeah, he showed that in New Zealand um, so quick yeah he's really deceptively quick um, you know the cover back when the ball was hacked through for when you think Rio Dyer and Wales are going to score here they're going to get a a, um, a present here of a try he's just never gives up and there's a real lesson in that so he's super mentally strong um, and just knows does the basics so well but then excels as when, when you give him any sort of space um, he's, he's a brilliant rugby player and rarely makes a bad decision um, and it was a superb performance for him, as was what it was for many of the players. Look, Caelan Doris was, you know, outstanding. James Ryan looks like he's really found his yeah. form again. Mm. Physically, he looks really strong in himself. In that first try that we scored, there's pictures doing no, the rounds. The yeah, it's a still shot. It's it's. You can see in the, like, You can see actually in the live shot that there is a like it's a hand on the face, but I don't think anything's going to come of it because it, it's not. Very unlikely, unless James Ryan has a problem with it and Ireland have a problem with it. But I, I think it's more in trying to reach out and grab the ball. And um, he was brilliant, James Ryan. I think the line-out steal, the try, the carries, um, the work rate. He, he just looks to have he a real explosive spring. in a way. Yeah, he does. And, and, and he look, he physically probably had a dip in form and was physically a, a bit battered and played so much rugby in the early parts of his career. He looks re-energized and really strong and physical in 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 in, in the contact areas. Uh, Finley Bealham uh, was a brilliant performance for him. He's going to get tested by Cyril Bay on Saturday in, in Dublin. It's a bit of a blow to Ireland that Furlong Gibson Park are not available. Um, but you know, it's 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 a real test for him. I thought he stood up brilliantly um, and had a really big game. Dan Sheehan again and Van der Flair, the carries just it's it's freakish really and they keep turning up time after time they're so fit it's unbelievable um, 
Sheehan is getting to the point where we're going to be able to compare him with Keith Wood. Like, it's just even the, I've got the ball in my hands, I'm going to try a little chip through, and there's just a bang of, like... Um, I like, don't know if Woody, with respect, and he'll probably admit this, could sidestep and swerve. Of course, Woody, Woody had a sidestep, yeah, of course. But Woody's carry, I just... Sheehan just can run up to you and stop and then just bounce to one side and know he, you're, you're about to tackle him and he can kind of fend you a little bit and spin around and then kind of pump the legs. He's close in contact and, and balance is really, really powerful. He's a big man. He's a big man. He's hard to stop. Now, to be fair, Keith Wood, you know, running a line and, and his footballing ability was sensational and... Um, Sheehan is getting a real reputation for himself. He everybody knows about him in world rugby now, and um, he's, you know, if we if you can get um, Kelleher Sheehan, the two of them are are, are, are world class players on their day, and I think they have the the ability to be world class. I think Sheehan now, what we've seen the last year is he's kind of nudging one. more and more yeah. there. Ronan Keller has been very unfortunate. Yeah, um, with injury, but he's got a number of months now. To, I, I think he's pretty close to to being available as opposed to being longer term. So you know, it's plenty of time for him to get back. And obviously, the, so long as one of them is fit uh, and playing, will be grand. But obviously, having them both there would be sensational. Yeah, it would. Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's it's really important. I think if you had the strength, it, uh, Herring has done brilliantly for Ireland as well. So there's there's three of them there that that have. Um, <coughs> You know, gives gives real depth in that position. I think um, so. There's a lot of positives after the weekend, but I I think you know we need to just temper that with a little bit of how good were Wales. Um, there has to be a reality check there, and just speak about that yeah. because, um, and I don't mean it that disrespectfully. Um, Ireland just can't get carried away now. You know what I mean? I don't think they will. I think we've laboured on the point of 2019 a lot. I think they know. Um, that it can change very, very quickly. This is better. <laughs> it's better. It's a good start. Yeah. But look, if we you get, get carried a- away and we all think they're great, they're a very good side. They've proven themselves that they deserve to be spoken this way, mainly because of New Zealand and November and winning probably not with their best performances in November. So they've been tested a lot and that's what Andy Farrell wants. He wants them to be tested and challenged. Um, but what we saw again at, at the weekend was really good. Let's talk briefly about Italy before we get to France um, the narrative around Italy was that they should have a relegation playoff with Georgia every year because they're so bad it's an abomination they're conceding 50 points every game the games aren't competitive you can put out your second string and it doesn't really matter and then like they were just a few bad decisions away from winning that game at the weekend we'll see what happens next week um, of course they were brilliant um, they go to Twickenham now and you, you, they will sense an opportunity here. I think um, before they beat Wales last year, they'd lost thirty six games in the Six Nations consecutive games. So it was a legitimate argument, sir. Nobody wanted Italy. Well, I saw someone online yesterday saying, "Well, people wanted Italy thrown out of the Six Nations. Nobody wanted them thrown out." I think what they wanted was an opportunity for Georgia. Um, if they um, with a playoff situation the other unions 
didn't want that because For fear they get so well, if you had a bad year or yeah. a really bad year you could end up Wales, Ireland, Scotland potentially in a playoff yeah. with uh, you know with Georgia <laughs> away in Tbilisi in a two-legged affair or something and you could be out of the Six Nations so that's understandable and changing it up but there was a there's, there's, there, there was an argument for and, and that argument still should should always be there um that if there was a relegation scenario, would it make it more 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 spice to it? Do you know what I mean? Um, Italy were really good on, on 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 Sunday, and I think they've shown that um, we've been waiting for this Italian kind of side. Yeah, I think they're brilliant to watch. I think they have a problem at halfback. Uh, their halfback, scrum half, and out half didn't help them in that game. Well, the 10 couldn't kick the ball past the 22. Whenever they'd, they'd win possession, they'd snaffle something, and then he'd kick it straight back into touch inside their own 22. And you're like, just, you know, maybe try and find a way of exiting. Yeah, I think Stephen Varney, the, the scrum half, made some mistakes as well. Maybe they'll be better in Twickenham. Uh, Garbisi wasn't playing, so um, it was Tommaso Allen, who's, who's pretty experienced, I think, just with some of the control, but... Uh, what about France, though? Like, I, I don't think we can take France's form from this game and say, ooh, France aren't playing really well at the moment because France are stereotypically uh, complacent when it comes to those games against Italy. Frequently, they'll play they can Italy. be. And when everything goes well and they they start off and they start scoring some great tries, I think they were a little bit surprised at how competitive the Italians were. <clears throat> they couldn't put them away. Yeah. Early on, there was a chance maybe to just score three, four tries and it's game over. And then they just tried throwing the ball around to score some incredible try. That didn't happen. So they, um, again, they'll behind deep down, they'll think this was obviously was pretty scary for them. But they look at it and think it was a test for us. Our backs were to the wall. We weren't playing well. The discipline was really, really poor from them. Um, and that they learn a lot from this. That, that's the thing on the discipline, Gwynny, isn't it? Because you, you talk about taking the Wales game in context because of how bad Wales were. But if you take France at the weekend in context, conceding 18 penalties, from a discipline perspective, that's not going to happen two weeks in a row. They're not going to be so ill-disciplined. It's unlikely. Um, but when you're, when you're under pressure, you don't know. So Italy put them under a lot of pressure and... Um, they're all, a lot of them are split decisions. Some of them are silly ones. And, you know, we spoke about Wales's penalty count in the first half, Ireland's in the second half. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. Um, sometimes you creak under pressure and, and, you know, you jump the gun to try and... It's that hindmost foot scenario where you're trying to get off the line to stop. You're getting frustrated with the opposition. They have the ball for lots and lots of phases and you're defending for a period of time. So if you hold on to the ball... Any team holds on to the ball for a long period of time. You're you're possibly going to get rewarded, and um, but it's very difficult for, to see Wales or to see France being that sloppy again. Even in their attack, I think the third try they got uh, possibly shouldn't have been a try. I think Gregory Aldred is halfway up the rock when when the ref says the ball is out. Right. Um, so they got a little bit fortunate there, but. They'll be they'll be better in Dublin. Ireland are four point favourites for that, and we preview that game later on in the week. And I do want to just um, sound a slight warning note about Scotland, who for the third time in a row have beaten England. Yeah, uh, they're no longer the kind of flaky Scotland that we just took for granted in the last World Cup. Uh, we won't be able to take them for granted in this World Cup or in this 
Six Nations either. Um, you would never take them for granted on their day anyway as regards... They were just a flakiness about them. We always yeah. thought that well, look, we're, they, we're they've far admitted that themselves. If you, if you see some of the inconsistencies in the performances over the years, they, they're unbelievably capable of, of stringing a performance together, um, causing you massive problems, making it really difficult, and then and winning a big game, and then the week after... It's a letdown. Yeah. So two years ago, they beat England in Twickenham to win the Calcutta Cup. Again, similar s- run of fixtures. The following week, they played Wales in Murrayfield, and they lost the game, and it derailed them. Ireland went there and beat them as well. Um, they were... France beat them. Um, so they ended up starting this the competition with unbelievable momentum, excitement. There's a there's similar, obviously, same run of fixtures, but um, they've got to beat Wales on Saturday. They've, they've got, got to back it up. In depth now, it feels like that there's more experience. They've got a bit of steel about them as well. You know, their back row and Jamie Ritchie and Matt Fagerson. Uh, I think Fagerson is just... he. 20 plus tackles of the weekend everybody talks about Richie Gray's hands for the last try for Duhan van der Mervas and watch it back so Richie Gray puts it through the hands before the English player tackles him brilliant hands from the big second row Fagerson gets the ball then with 20-30 yards to go and his first reaction and first movement is give it to van der Merva really quickly I, I really that jumped out at me because some players would just run you five, ten yards. <laughs> no, I always had that in my head. The reason that this is a point for me is that I always thought, get give it, it to the quickest fella, yeah. track on the inside, he's going to get a leg tackle and you possibly be there for the inside path. But what he did was, there's a lesson in that for anyone, for props or hookers or anybody. If you have a winger outside you and you've space in front of you, obviously there's cover coming across. Just put it through the hands. Fagerson did that so Vandermerva gets it he now has time to get up speed and he, he stepped back inside and scored a brilliant try the yeah. first one was superb as well that was a brilliant team try I presume you've seen the bit on Twitter where there's a nice little bite between the two out halves after the first try where um, Finn Russell just is like uh, telling uh, not the out half sorry um, Farrell on Farrell yeah like Farrell just took it <laughs> Farrell obviously absolutely emptied him in a tackle a that few was, That was it, John. I think he, there might have been a little reminder back that, you know, what, what happened there. But England were blunt. Um, so, round one, uh, there were some brilliant games. The three three great games, I think. Obviously, they, if, you're on the, if you're on the losing side, yeah. there weren't three great, great games. But it was a brilliant weekend and... Uh, you know, it'll be intriguing now to see who can kick on and, and really grab a bit of momentum. If Ireland were to beat France, you're you're wide open. Yeah, that, that um, the slow mo of the Van der Merwe try. I mean, that should be when you walk into the World Rugby Museum at Twickenham. That should be just on the screens everywhere. Yeah, just I don't immaculate. think it will be. Though. <laughs> oh, but the way he not. changed the ball from one hand and, and was able oh. to fend Dombrant as well um, was 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 superb. But. Uh, yeah, Scotland have a real chance now in this competition because if they if they beat Wales next week, um, obviously in round three they're over in, in Paris, but they've they'll really feel good about themselves and and yeah, we've got to be worried about the World Cup. Yeah. Like it's it's not a guaranteed. Oh, we're we're straight through to the quarterfinals to face. I've said it so teams. many times. No matter what form Scotland have, when you go to that World Cup, it's going to be a really difficult game. Yeah. As it stands, though, Six Nations, happy days. Yeah, it's a good, really good start. Really good start. Stick Prendergast in a 10 if Johnny Sexton's injured, that's all. <laughs> Why not? 
Let's just see. Right. Queenie, good stuff. Thanks, William. Thanks, it's 8.33 this morning. If you want to get involved in the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. 0879 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. Um, what is the most likely outcome in the Six Nations? Give us your thoughts on that. We'll talk about it over the course of the rest of the show. Up next, we're talking hurling with Sarah Donovan. Uh, the Allianz National Hurling League are back. First, here's Keith Wood and Fiona Hayes talking about the changes in Dan Sheehan's play. Uh, but did his movement and his style of play remind you of anybody on Saturday? Keith Wood, a young Keith Wood, is it? <laughs> um, uh, look, uh, Dan Sheehan. Casey or? Sheehan, you. No, look. We've got a whole new, we've a whole new species now in Dan Sheehan. Um, honestly, he's just, he's, he's made, he's made it, um, he's, he's changing the way the game has to go. Um, he is very big, very powerful. His feet, his movement, before contact, even before he gets the ball at certain instances, puts him into, into great. I mean, the game is so totally changed now, and yet he's consistently making yardage. It's very impressive. Yeah, that's uh, Keith Wood making the, uh, somebody else making the comparison for him uh, on our behalf. I definitely think that Sheehan is starting to round into someone uh, that we can start beginning to compare with Keith Wood, who was a World Player of the Year, so that's uh, no mean feat. 8.35 this morning, I'm delighted to say Sarah Dunham here with um, Sarah Cork, Cork GAA generally in the green um, after the performance from the Hurlers. I looked at the score at halftime and went, oh, this is interesting. Double scores, Limerick just rolling. And then at the end of the game, there was real bites, real fights, real quality. Yeah. And um, I mean, look, it's the league. We can't get carried away. But you're a Cork Ireland fan. You must be getting a bit carried away. I was in love with that second half. Every aspect of it. <laughs> Even from the Limerick point of view. Both teams went at it. And Patrick Corgan spoke during the week about staying in the fight for as long as they could. And the beauty of it was that they stayed in the fight till the 78th minute. Mm. That's what I loved about it. Well, it, it when, you, when you say that during the week, right, and your double scores down at halftime, you have to back it up at the weekend. I agree. At halftime, I think they were able to reassess a couple of times last year and in the previous years. Cork have come out of the traps, been excellent. Against Kilkenny a couple of years ago in Croke Park, Cork finally the All-Ireland. They were heads and shoulders above Kilkenny. Kilkenny came out in the second half and destroyed them, right? Last year again against Galway, started really well, fell apart. So this time around, to see them go down and be able to come back, I'd rather... Yeah, you want to be at the end. I'd rather have them that way. Better to be a second half team than the first half team. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the big things in the second half for me, laid on, um, Conor Callaghan, cornerback, and Kieran Joyce, centre-back, and they're smothering Keane Lynch, right? Keane Lynch has nowhere to go. Love to see that. Jack Callan thumps uh, Darrow Donovan out over the sideline they win the short sideline cut Shane Kingston gets the score they're the inches that Cork were winning the last night and I love that We had a big conversation philosophical conversation about the importance of the league on Friday night and uh, I think last year's league probably ruined the league for everybody because at the end of it we're like oh what if we're really good and then they completely fell apart but that's not that's not guaranteed a good league doesn't mean that you're going to be bad in the championship right like uh, Davy is in the papers talking about he wants competitive matches for his side at this stage um, and he said Michal who likewise everybody's trying to find something in the league that they're going to be able to cling to and use as inspiration or form or partnerships so um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, some of this will actually matter at the end of the year we'll be able to look back and go that mattered or these players came through like Limerick have trimmed their panel that matters you know St- decisions are being made by the management teams 
that would be the basis for what at the end of the year they look back and go we set down patterns of behaviour we set down the culture at this point and the good teams will be able to carry that through yeah but the, there's things that I saw on Saturday night that immediately I went oh that's different to mm. last year so Podrick Walsh centre back for Kilkenny Cody had all but retired him like you know, and now Derek Ling sees him as an option at centre back because obviously he's great at holding structure. Luke Mead for Cork, incredible performance Saturday night. Kingston had relegated him to the sideline for most of last year's championship. Pat Ryan's decided he's got something to offer. Declan Dalton was sitting two seats in front of me last year for the Galway game. Cork had no interest in him, and he scores you know crucial goal for Cork Saturday night. Mm. New managers, massive freshness. Loved Adam English the last night for Limerick. Um, really thought uh, Connor Coughlin's performance for Limerick, real standout performance, making really good decisions late on in the game. Barry Murphy for Limerick the last day thought he was really good in the Dublin setup. A West Cork man playing midfield for Dublin. Uh, Chris O'Leary from my own parish in Shannon. Those things. That's what the league does. It highlights these players, and that's what you're talking about. And if you can build confidence if, if you give the manager confidence that you can perform now they'll back you to still be in the team and then look it's we know it's a bit of a different sport when the weather's good versus now at the moment and the pitches are very heavy but at the same time like that's why this stuff matters yeah well look if you look at Conor Lehan it took him what 76 minutes to score <laughs> in the game Saturday night what a touch what a score to level the game uh, you know that's why he's still on the field that's why Pat Ryan still has him on the field because he has that composure that's the kind of thing that matters come April or May. There's a bit of a championship feel as well. I don't know if it's if it's the attendances or the fact that these games are Saturday nights under lights, but there's something um, different down the home stretch. It feels like there's a lot on the line. I know it's only a league game, but like even. But is it only a league? Well, game? it's not only. It's but a career, though. It's a player's career. True, and there's, there's ga- like it was even gamesmanship at halftime. Limerick, I think, took a significant amount of time to come out of the dressing room and Cork standing there waiting for the, for the second half to start backfired a little bit uh, because Cork were brilliant in that second half as you say but there was just there was just an extra special feel about those games especially on Saturday night I, I think because of the social media now and the increased exposure that players have mm. every game is important to them that's why the league has become as important as the championship because as I said b- players are building their reputation week on week on week and that's why every player is looking to play his best regardless of the nature of the game even the Munster League had a bit of bite I kind of feel as well like we haven't quite settled into the new routine of the league and then the round robin happening really quick after it and then the championship you know exploding after that like uh, last year was the first year of it so people didn't really know what to do and now it was the first proper year of it post-Covid like and now I think uh, most managers will have their entire uh, periodization mapped out and that there's a possibility that some team comes has a great league and just rides that momentum all the way through to All-Ireland quarterfinals semi-finals and look then you know it's um, it's a different ball game but uh, I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see a team who we don't expect to make the semi-finals this year make it on the back of a good league I agree um, I think though what the managers are looking for this year is depth because if you look at what happened to Wexford against Clare in last year's championship they were in it had a couple of injuries Roy O'Connor had to go off they didn't have the players to come on and I think the managers this year are very conscious that they need to find three or four players who can make the difference in a championship setting if you have those injuries because the games go come so quickly Yeah and I suppose the other thing is there's no real jeopardy if you're a top tier team it doesn't really matter if you're in the first tier or the second tier there's no chance of you properly being relegated um, 
to meaningless and there's loads of competition in these games so it, it, you can take risks yes. with, with certain players and, and you know uh, we, we'd always talk about the rugby players or the footballers like uh, the rugby players it's impossible to see if you, if you make too many changes how good these players are going to be whereas if you pick the core of your team and then add in three or four at least they're playing with top quality inter-county players as opposed to it being um, Walsh Cup teams and that's what the I suppose what managers are trying to do is to try and allow these new players to come in and have that experience because if you get a quality ball that can give you a chance to have a quality score. If you look at Keanu Sullivan's goal the last day for Dublin, like what I was really impressed about with Dublin was their technical skills seem to have come on massively, like in massive catches. Just uh, an Owen O'Donnell and that full back lads, what a warrior. If there was a transfer market, he'd be the lad that I'd be looking to get into Cork. I, I think he's <laughs> a phenomenal, phenomenal hurler. But that's that's what I was excited about at the weekend is just the improvement in, in the players and when you saw David Fitz he's like right I need to do something here he brings in Desi Hutchinson he brings in Ozzy Gleeson Dublin were a bit naive they thought Ozzy Gleeson was going to go for that late score to, to you know mm. um, level the game and he decides to go for a goal with Mikey Kiley that's, that's the beauty of the league is Ozzy was willing to try that What do you think is um, the ceiling for this Waterford team at the moment? Like, are they straight away all Ireland contenders because of the quality of? Because this time last year we were saying they're absolutely all Ireland contenders. They're coming off the back of uh, a deep run. Now they've never had a deep run when there's been the. Sorry, they have had um, with the round robin, but it's been a long time. Um, is there a possibility that Davy can immediately make them a team who's going to be strong enough, deep enough to get out of? the round robin and still be standing in All-Ireland quarter-final weekend I think it's a discipline thing with that group um, it, it showed on Saturday they they were fiery you know they had they made a couple of decisions which resulted in them going down to 13 men we've seen that a couple of times last year discipline with Ozzy Gleeson an incredible hurler but you need to have him on the pitch so Davy has to work on the discipline aspect as much as they're hurling but there's no doubt Jamie Barron Jack Prendergast Desi Hutchinson the pace that that team has the way they play the, the pace which they play at really really hard to combat that uh, So are they all on a contenders? Or like? If you look at the game between Wexford and Galway I would have said Waterford look like they're ahead of both of those teams mm. So Galway got to an All-Ireland semi-final last year pushed Limerick all the way Waterford came up too early we'll say um, I, w- I would put Waterford ahead of Galway I know both of those teams <coughs> Wexford and Galway were missing like Galway were missing the St Thomas's contingent and the Cooney um, brothers as well but Wexford were also missing players but, I mean if you're a Wexford fan given the amount of wides and I think they only scored twice from playing the second half you'd be really concerned of those two teams to be a Wexford supporter at the moment because they, they did look fairly abject it, it wasn't the shooting and everyone was going about the shooting they had 43% shooting yeah. um, conversion in the first half my issue was their structure mm. they couldn't maintain their structure so they, you couldn't tell who was playing midfield and who was playing half back that's my issue with some of the teams at the minute is you saw in the first half Cork and Limerick there were so many gaps Cork couldn't figure out Limerick were defending together attacking together pushing forward com- and coming back Cork had to really figure out their structure to be able to close the gaps Wexford couldn't do that Dublin did that really well against Waterford they they held their structure really well and that's what I was impressed about with Michael O'Donoghue obviously he's gone in and said first things first let's figure out how we close the gaps 
I thought um, last year in the league Dublin were great for a period and then had a really tricky game against Kilkenny and never seemed quite to recover the confidence from that over the course of the rest of the season and again that's one of the other reasons why if you take a shellacking on a day where you expect to do well it can damage and derail the rest of your season it feels like Michal Donoghue has enough nous and experience like he's a serious fella that um, I don't know you'd love to see Dublin being proper contenders and Michal Donoghue's hurling brain being the one that, that gets in there well look I saw an Instagram post last week Liam Rush David Tracy and Chris Crummy out in Byron Bay right Michal Donoghue probably took on the job and didn't expect to lose such quality so for him to turn around on Saturday and get a draw against Waterford with players like Kean Boland Alex Considine Keno Sullivan um, Chris O'Leary the aforementioned Corkman uh, Owen O'Donnell there was some massive performances there and these guys are only going to get better you know and they don't have that stigma of, of the last number of years OK so uh, Limerick obviously don't care what happens in this league right because we know that they're an all time great team and they have all time great talent and we'll see exactly who is in their championship panel when it's named for the first proper Munster Championship match. Uh, but after that, who's feeling confident and who's feeling good about life? I would say, realistically, Cork on the basis of Saturday night and beating Tip in the Munster League the way they did. Tip put up 232 at the weekend. I know we aren't necessarily going to cover it, but 232 is a big score. Mm. Clare hit 427 at the weekend. Every team is is motoring in the right direction. Uh, April 30th is Cork's first game against Waterford. Um, I would say there's six teams in contention right now. See, that's not very far away at all, is it? Like that's why nine weeks. Yeah, that's yeah. why I, I do wonder if it's that easy to like. Oh, it's just the league, and you know, I think yeah, I don't you know, have to see. I I think crucially here, lads, is before Christmas we were watching all the club games, right? And we had kind of four months of club, and now the league started the pace of it by comparison to the club yeah. it's like a feast I was yeah. so excited at the weekend and I think that's why the, the numbers of people going to matches are so big even though so it's like yeah, but I think uh, I, I don't know the quality I, uh, the contrast in quality and that's no disrespect to the clubs it's just you're seeing professional versus club setup. Is is the is the style of play with Kilkenny under Ling uh, carry on from Cody or is it entirely different? Uh, looking at it on Saturday it, it was hard to tell like Antrim had a really good structure that's why they only lost by seven yeah. you know they, they they worked really hard to close the gaps so it'll be interesting to see how, how Kilkenny get on this weekend um, I think they're playing on Sunday yeah. Alright Sarah good stuff thanks so many for joining us that's uh, Sarah Donovan giving us some thoughts on the hurling from the weekend if you've got views on that we'd love to hear from you you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream you can tweet us at Off the Ball AM. we're going to hear from Pat Nevin who was on the show last night talking about Jesse Marsh's departure from Leeds after that Martin Lipton is on to talk Manchester City where do they go next after sacking Jesse Marsh? Well, first thing is, I'm the worst person to ask, right? Because I've been to see Leeds about four times this season, and they've been utterly brilliant every time. <laughs> and they've won every game, even down, I was down at the Accrington Stanley game. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's only Accrington Stanley, but yeah, I saw them wipe the floor with Chelsea. Every team I've seen in London, brilliant. So it's a tough one. I agree with you. I think it's harsh uh, in Marsh because. You look at the teams that I've looked at them before. Arsenal beat them 1 0. Um, Fulham, they're doing well, 3 2, single goal, usual stuff. Newcastle, flying high, draw. Brentford, flying high, draw. No one, do, no one really hammers them. It's, it's just the odd goal. And what it does tell you is, is one simple thing the difference between success and failure in the Premier League is stunningly, stunningly small. You wouldn't be surprised had 
they stuck by him a wee bit more and they might have got out of it and cruised along the mid table. I wouldn't have been surprised with that because they've got some very good players in there and they all clearly liked working for the manager. But where do they go now? That's that's the question. That's a hard one because you could see the transition from Bielsa to Jesse Marsh. What do they do now? Do they get another sort of similarish attitude of, you know, high intensity, ultra attacking, or do they go to somebody who's a, you know, hired hand, gun for hire, somebody who does normal things and just keeps them in the division? They may well do that. I have to say, I think that's a that's a tricky one. I don't know if they're the right team, team to do that with. So, uh, if it would be me, oddly enough, and I know a lot of Leeds fans mm. don't think about it, two things I would have done, I probably would have stuck with them. And B, I would have got me a season ticket there. Because I think that would have saved them. <laughs> Leeds secondary manager is not the biggest story in the uh, Premier League today. The biggest story in the Premier League today is that Manchester City have been hit with 115 financial fair play charges. I'm delighted to say Martin Lipton is with us to talk to us about this. Martin, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, good morning, I'm well. I think you'll probably get more sense out of Pat Nevin than you will from me, but nevertheless, I'll do my best. I don't know. Your back page story on The Sun this morning is boot them out. Prem rivals want champs relegated for cash tricks. The trouble here for Manchester City is that they they might be able to uh, take on the Premier League with their lawyers, but all of a sudden, all of the other clubs in the Premier League now have grounds for cases against Manchester City, and so they might have some victories along the way in terms of the 115 that might get reduced, but at some point, surely the rest of the Premier League are looking at this and going, hang on a second, what's the point of rules if somebody's allowed to break them? I think you're going to be difficult and, and diverse, because actually, bizarrely as it sounds, under Premier League rules, a third-party club cannot appeal or complain about a decision made by a Premier League panel. Only the the clubs involved can. So they would have to go to law, uh, literally try and make a high court suit for damages. Now, that's very hard to sustain. However, that would be different depending on the punishment. So let's have a look at this, the totality here. City faced 115 separate allegations of breaches of the regulation, which they absolutely deny emphatically, totally, utterly, completely. We did nothing wrong, Gov. It's a conspiracy. Don't look at us. Look over there. That's their right to so do. The obvious punishment would be a fine if they're found guilty of these. But that won't be enough, I don't think, for anybody, given the scale of the alleged breaches over 10 years. And then I think more damagingly for City, four years of obstruction of the inquiry, which is what they have been charged with. The last five charges are season by season, not giving full information to the Premier League. So a fine would probably be seen as as insufficient. So the next step up would be a transfer embargo. That would be possible. Uh, Difficult to sustain because there's a question there of, of whether they have the legitimacy to do that, but that's the Premier League. They can do as they see fit. This panel has any punishment at its disposal. Next up, points deduction. If you deduct points over multitude of seasons, that's a real problem, actually. If you were to say for each season when the fences took place, that's every season from 2008-9, we're going to deduct three points. In eight of those seasons, Manchester City lose a place. In four of them, they lose the title. And in one of them, they lose a Champions League place. All the clubs that have been displaced could then theoretically sue City or the Premier League if they didn't order City to play, pay a compensation payment. So if you're Man United, we would have been more marketable in 2013, 2012 if we won the title. 
So where's our, you know, you owe us for that. And in 2015, 16, we lost 40 million pounds when we would have finished above you in fourth place in the title race and therefore gone into the Champions League. That's a real nest of vipers for the Premier League. So in many ways, it would be simpler for there to be one punishment of relegation stroke expulsion for next season or the season after. That seems like a bombshell in a way. If you're Man City, I guess you say, OK, we'll pay all those, we'll pay 40 million compensation to Manchester United. Not going to give Liverpool the title the time that they might have won it. Not going to give Man United the title. I don't know. How do, like, what, what, you know, what do you do if you're, if you're City in this instance? Assuming that they get found guilty, right? Let's, let's just... Yeah, let's, but, the, but they could be cleared. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, they, they won their case against, against UEFA, albeit they won... The, the main reason they beat UEFA is because UEFA actually laid the charges too late. They were after the time uh, barrier. There is no time bar for Premier League... Uh, charges. Interestingly, City are saying that's really good for us. We're really pleased that there's no time bar because it means we can be completely cleared and exonerated and this is the end of this. I would like to buy that if they hadn't used the time bar as their main defence against UEFA, but there, there you go. Very interesting situation. All the lawyers are going to get very rich out of this on, on all of the sides because I'm sure uh, all the clubs are looking at to see exactly what they might be due if City were to be found guilty. But let, let's so there's two outcomes really. There's a bunch of other outcomes that are possible, but the main ones are City get found innocent, City get found guilty. If they do get found guilty, uh, would it be in their interest to take relegation for one season and think, well, we'll come back automatically, like you know, just keep everybody for that one season? Take whatever the costs are. Take your parachute payments. Do you get your parachute payments if you've been kicked out? How does that all work? I think you would get parachute payments. That's £40 Think about this. If City are are relegated for one season, that means they're not in Europe for three seasons. Because they wouldn't be in Europe the, the the season after they were relegated. They wouldn't be in the Champions League the season after that because they wouldn't be able to qualify for it. So it would be three seasons before they could qualify for Europe. TV income from a season, a decent season in the Champions League, plus City finishing top four every year, around £270 million. So in season one, they get £50 from TV money. There's a £220 black hole. Season two, the maximum they get is 140 million because they're not in Europe. So that's another 130 million black hole. You've suddenly lost an awful lot of money. And even the season, if they qualify, you know, they have to then sell players to meet the salary demands. A lot of them will go anyhow. Are you you going to tell Erling Haaland that no, 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 you're not going to be playing PSG next season. You're playing Hulse City away on a Wednesday night, 46-game season. Are you going to tell Kevin De Bruyne, sorry, mate, Cardiff next Tuesday? Are you going to tell Edison, I know you came here to play against Liverpool and United, but for the next 12 months, it's going to be a bit different. We've got Huddersfield. Fancy that, don't you? It's just not viable, is it? They're not going to stay. They have it. The players will leave. They'll be able to buy players. They'll have a huge sum of, of money. But a lot of these players are on long-term contracts. They'll lose money on them. 
they'll lose money. So their FFP position gets worse because they haven't got the income stream for three years. The players they sell, because they're a, a distressed seller, will go for less than they should do. Many of them are on, are on long contracts. With them, even if those fees have been amortised, you've still got to pay off the overhang of the amortisation before you can start to bank the, the, the sales. It's a real issue. So they will fight that then, obviously. I mean, we, we know... Oh, that... they would fight a 50p fine. And they've every right to. Let's be honest, they've every right to. When I, when but I, they would fight a 50p fine. That's at Manchester City. When I first saw the, the uh, charges over the weekend, Martin, immediately you think, well, because of the court of arbitration for sport um, decision a couple of years ago, you know, it's going to be the same outcome. But then, as you say, you talk about the, the fact that there's no time bar in this one. They found more evidence as well, and they have more evidence than the, than the previous um, uh, incident a couple of years ago. It, seems, it feels different, this one. It, seems, it feels like a more weighted argument against City. I think what will prove to be potentially the most serious charges are the last five charges, the obstruction of the inquiry charge. If you go back to Carlos Tevez in 2006, the reason that they should, according to the commission, have been given a penalty, a points deduction... And they weren't for different reasons, but the reason that they should have been given a points deduction wasn't the offence of Tevez. It was the lies Scott Duxbury and others at West Ham, no longer at West Ham, let's point that out, told to the Premier League, directly to Richard Scudamore. That was seen as the most egregious situation. Now, the allegation here is that over five consecutive seasons, including this season, Manchester City have deliberately attempted to obstruct and deflect and prevent a full and proper inquiry. That's quite serious. And that is where they could be in, in significant trouble, I think. Uh, if they just fessed up and said, yeah, we did, fine, and a, a, a small points deduction might have been the most likely scenario. At this stage, I genuinely don't know what will happen because nobody does. It's entirely in the hands of the three-person committee to be... Uh, perhaps headed by Murray Rose in QC, certainly selected by him. He's the head of the chair of the judicial panel. Nobody knows what they'll do. The Premier League have no idea. The Premier League have no say in this outcome. These are three independent uh, uh, people, one of whom must be, the, the chair must be a senior lawyer. City have actually the right to, um, to complain and to... Uh, argue against the inclusion of any members of that panel if they feel they have vested interests. So they can't claim that they didn't have a fair hearing. It's going to be really, really fascinating. Uh, and it will be entirely at the decision and behest of this panel what happens next. Is the Premier League can ask for certain punishment, but they can't impose it. All the Premier League will do is impose the punishment that is set by the Commission. What do you make of the timing of all this, Martin? Because you, you look, we're just coming out of a transfer window where the Premier League have received a lot of flack and criticism across Europe for the, the amount of spending. I think Chelsea outspent every other team in, in, in Europe's top five leagues put together. Uh, £815 million sterling spent by all the clubs in the Premier League. Like, is, is it a response to, to criticism, to be seen to be getting ahead of, of issues like this and, and dealing with financial irregularities or alleged financial irregularities? No, because the Premier League is utterly proud of what it is. There's no one at the Premier League who thinks that the spending of the Premier League is a mark of shame. They think it's a mark of strength. 
they love the fact that Premier League is becoming the go-to destination in world football, that it's the only uh, league that has emerged fully full bore from the um, from the pandemic. It's a, a genuine source of pride to the Premier League that, that basically we run our business so well. We are so popular globally and we are so strong reputationally that everyone wants to come here and we are number one without question. In fact, we're so far number one that we can't even see number two in our back, out of our, you know, back rear view mirror. That's how, and they're genuinely, innately, inordinately, but understandably, I think, proud of what they've achieved. This is nothing to do with that at all. This is an ongoing investigation which began in December 18 and has finally come to, to a position where the board, and that's Richard Masters and his colleagues, agreed that there was sufficient evidence that a charge should be laid. It's so serious that you feel like it has the possibility to impact the team's performances over the rest of the season because as you make the point, like if relegation is a possibility, the vast majority of those players will not play in the championship and they will talk about this. Like in the WhatsApp groups in the city uh, first team in the little cliques they're all chatting about well what are you going to do if we get relegated well I've already talked to my agent and I've got four clauses that are going to allow it so like this it, it's such a big story it's, it's difficult to overstate look we don't know what the impact will be City didn't seem to be terribly adversely affected uh, by the Champions League ban uh, in that their season was you know it was in the February of 2020 uh, and they that season, let's be honest, was already gone because Liverpool had won the league. It was done and dusted before um, the the chaos of, uh, of of COVID. So City still played. This weren't as good that season. It didn't stop them going deep in the Champions League, and they'd already gone deep in the Champions League. Uh, you know, they were into the quarterfinals effectively before after the ban, but before the ban was overturned. But this is different in scale uh, because of the sheer number of charges. I'm sure the City players have been, will be and continue to be told, do not worry, this is all a put-up job, we've got nothing to fear, we told you before, look, we were right, we're telling you now, we'll be right. And guess what? City may be correcting that. They may well be correcting that. I'm not. Let's put it this way. They've got the best lawyers on the planet. They can afford to hire the best lawyers there are. They will work absolutely hammer and tong to ensure that their case, that their case is victorious. But you're right; it will, you would have thought, have a detrimental impact. The question is how detrimental an impact. If you're a city player now and you think the best scenario is that we, we're going to have be deducted points because we probably, you know, those players will know some of them that they had if they had a second contract in breach of league regulations. There are players at the club, in the squad now, who will know if these charges about the contract, the contracts that they had, are correct. If if they're correct, and I do not know, if they are correct and they know that, they'll tell the other players that. And they'll know, actually, well, there's something in this. Oh, right. You would have thought, with the possibility of losing even, you know, 15 points, whatever it might be this season... Do they really want to care about beating Arsenal twice? Or do they say, we may now go and win every single point so that when they, if, when and if they take points off us, everyone knows we were the real champions. We were the team that really won 
the Champions League, etc. It could work the other way. The uh, scriptwriters for this season are working overtime. What was already a brilliant, interesting uh, title race at the top and the relegation and sack race at the bottom has suddenly been, uh, you know, catapulted into all-time great uh, storytelling. This is, it is, it's incredible that this has happened at this stage of the season that the story has come out, that the legal documents were delivered uh, the way they were and that now we all know chapter and verse and the details as well. It's... Um, I don't know what's I going to happen. We know the detail. We know some of the details. You don't know all of them. That's the issue. And the, the one thing that's a real shame is that this hearing will be held in private. Uh, Although the chairman of the panel has the right to determine that it is taken down verbatim and published. And I, I truly, truly hope that happens, given that we're not allowed in. I suspect what we'll get is a summary rather than a full hearing uh, transcript. But I'd love to get a transcript. Last thing, what, what's the time frame here? When do you think we actually might know the, the makeup of the judiciary panel and uh, how long it will take to hear the case? Well, the makeup of the panel should be quite easy. You know, Murray Rosen just chooses three from the list he's got. He could do that within the next 17 days. Uh, City have got, uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, City were charged yesterday. by uh, They would have got the email. They've read it on the website, but legally they haven't received the letter until Thursday informing them of their charge because it has to be sent by registered mail. Don't ask me why, but it does. So they don't get it, even though they got it, until Thursday. They then have two weeks, which makes, takes us to the 23rd of February to respond, after which the Premier League has another two weeks to respond. In that period, the panel should be selected. So that gives you March 9. Theoretically, it could be any time from then certainly by the end of March. And if you want it to be concluded by early summer, which is benefits of clarity for everyone, you'd probably want to hold this hearing by early April to get a result by, you know, within a couple of days and then start the appeal process, which would initially be an appeal to another panel uh, by whichever party wanted to so do. Right. However, it could drag on for months. You just, I mean, it all depends on lawyers agreeing when they should hold the hearing. And if you're city's lawyer, you will say, well, we have not, we need more time to defend ourselves. And we haven't had this paper and we've not had that paper and we, we've been delayed on this. And we'll, they will drag, it will make sense for them to drag it as far as they can. And if it goes into next season, then it adds more layers of problems because were there then to be a, an eventual decision of a relegation, what does a team that comes 18th this season do? Takes a case. When they wouldn't have been relegated yeah. last, you know, this season if the punishment had been imposed then. It's a real problem. Yeah. Martin, great stuff. Thanks a million for making the time for us this morning. Really Thanks. appreciate it. It's Martin Lipton there from The Sun uh, giving us the latest on the situation at Manchester City. Eight minutes past nine here on OTBAM. Brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's on sports radio for you today. Jerry Eisenberg talking about Muhammad Ali at one o'clock. Our dad cast at three. Gavin James is in the Culture Hall of Fame and Ronnie Delaney is OTB Gold at six. And uh, Joe is back tonight from seven with uh, the rest of the team uh, on off the ball on Newsock. Up after the break, Anthony Moyles talking uh, Gaelic football. OTB. Anthony Moyles is with us. Anthony, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. Gents, how are we all? Me, they're back. Didn't take much. <laughs> yeah. You're a week late for me, they're back, Jerry. Oh, they're probably back. You do it once, it's like, okay. Yeah. Prove it to me. They've done it now. It's like... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I wasn't at the game. I watched it back. Um, yeah, they've improved. I think they have improved. Um, 
I think they've scored well, they've scored seven goals now in two outings. So there's a definite pattern you can see whereby the players are taking their men on uh, in the forward line. There was different goals this week. You know, I, th- I think Clare would be kicking themselves because it was the concession of three goals that probably were soft enough. One was a long ball in which Donald Lennon kind of got a flick on. The other one was a, just a, a, a kick out mistake. And then the other one was a kind of a scrambled goal really from a, from a ball that should have been shepherded out in the side. So Clare will kick themselves. Um, Meter happy, obviously getting goals. I think there's a bit more you know, with the fellas involved, Barry Callahan and Stephen Bray, I'm not surprised that the forwards are taking their men on. Brayer's MO was always to stand you up as a, as a, as a defender and go at you, you know, left or right. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that because I think this idea of, I think we've watched football and we're still seeing it with teams, and I know we've spoken about this in the past, where they're not really taking risk, you know, and the ball goes into the inside man and even when the opportunity is to stand up and go to the defender, he's looking to recycle it back out, yeah. you know, and you're never going to get goals that way. Well, you're it's going to finish 9-8 and you, know, and you yeah. might lose, you might win, but you're yeah. not really influencing that. Correct, and you'll, you'll hold on to the ball and you'll shepherd it back, you know, you'll kind of pass it back out and you'll play it across the 30 metre line and you'll just you know, you'll, you, eventually someone will take a shot, or you'll engineer a kind of a, a one on, a two on one, or a fella coming off the shoulder. But to really get that, you know, one on one situation, the ball obviously has to travel in fast, and then you have to have a forward who's willing to take on his man. And that is a skill. It's a skill that was kind of forgotten about probably the last six or seven years. Um, but it's coming back in, and I'm glad to see that they're doing it. I'm a bit worried about their defence. Um, you know, they've conceded a lot of scores. They've been outscored in both games. Um, so you know I think whatever it was was 16 points Clare racked up um, and a similar enough 19 against Cork which could have been 122 or 123 Turns out Cork are really good though <laughs> Well it does yeah yeah and it's you know that's, that's, that was a real that was a surprise I actually you know what I'm not just saying it I kind of did fancy Cork because I looked, uh, looked closely at the Mead game they could have easily won that Mead game if they had got the goals at certain times when Mead didn't get you know Mead got them yeah. uh, it could have swung easily for Cork and and you could even hear Carrigan after the game. He was very, very disappointed. You know, you could see the disappointment in them. Um, I'm surprised by Kildare, though, you know, because I thought Kildare, after running Dublin so close, um, I knew they were massively disappointed in not getting something out of that game. But they obviously just, uh, I don't know if they took a big, hard week of training. I know you can't really say that. And, of course, it's impossible to know. But, Jesus, they were flat. They were absolutely flat. You yeah. Know? And at home, which I, I saw some people saying, on oh, Newbridge doesn't suit the Kildare team, but like, you know. It does. Uh, I, that's not an excuse. Yeah, so no. they'll, they'll be definitely very worried about that because um, Division 2 in the league is a bear pit and, you know, all of a sudden uh, you're going to need to perform in the Leinster Championship and, it's not gonna, you know, if you haven't performed in the league, you're not going to suddenly switch it on and um, qualify for Sam Maguire that way. So you're staring down the barrel of the Talton Cup. Yeah, you are. And, you know, I kind of looked at the teams in Division 2 and Division 1 and you're kind of going, wow, there's three or four teams in Division 2 that are probably playing better football than some of the teams in Division 1 at this stage. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a, that, you can't really say that for the last number of years. There was always a gap in Division 1 and Division 2, maybe one or two, but, 
you know, I hate to say it, Shane, but Monaghan looking serious yeah. bother for me. Um, I know people are talking and, and, and people are kind of bigging up the the, the, the new man from Kerry. And, um, you know, he's definitely needed. But I just felt that some of the Monaghan defending uh, was, was, was atrocious. And I'm not even talking about the Paddy Clifford goal because I think some of the lads, they, they couldn't really do anything about it. But at the same time, both of them could have had a chance to jump on his toe and block the ball uh, right at the end. Um I'm just, I'm just worried. I'll be worried about Monaghan. I don't think Donegal are in great shakes. Um, and, you know, Galway without Comer are a completely different outfit. Um, completely different outfit. You know, they need obviously Walsh back ASAP. Um, but, you know, so there's a couple of teams there that you, that you would be slightly worried about. Um, and, and then you've got other teams, obviously, like Roscommon who are coming to the fore. Yeah. Um, we should talk about Roscommon because, uh, obviously they ended up beating Galway, coming from behind, kicked the last four points, I think. Um, bit of controversy about the refereeing at the end, but I think it's too early for us to care about refereeing controversies, really. Yeah. You're seeing teams. Lots of them. <laughs> exactly. Really. And you see, you're seeing teams play and put stuff down, and Roscommon have put back to back games down. League's very important for them, but there's an opportunity for them too to, um, you know, just become one of those teams who we talk about as being capable of winning a big championship match in Croker in a quarter final or semi final. Definitely, because they've had the forwards the last number of years. Um, so that hasn't been a problem defence wise and I t- said to last week midfield wise so certainly defence I just think they leaked a lot and they kind of had an idea well you score we'll score um, they have the forwards like Merton and these guys are fantastic forwards um, and they're well able to, but I think under Burke they're much more organised they're playing without a, f- a-, a fear you know they're just going for it um, they have wing backs who are well capable of coming up the field and taking scores but they're also tightening up at the far end and they're becoming a bit meaner mm. they're becoming a bit more physical you know they're becoming a bit, a bit more street smart. I would, I would put it. You know, you mentioned Anthony the, you know, the, the Clare conceding the, the goal from the short kickout, and even last week in the, in the opening round, Donegal gave Kerry a goal in similar circumstances. Rory Began had a mistake that gave Armagh a goal. There was another one at the weekend as well. I can't remember which game, but constantly Armagh, Killian O'Connor nearly scored a goal from from an Armagh kickout. Yeah, is that is it happening more regular? It, it feels like it's. Um, the first two two rounds of the league, there have been so many goals from goalkeeping mistakes or from bad kickouts. Maybe teams are just pushing up more on on kickouts, and it's becoming a new trend. Yeah, I think it's 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 going to happen um, because there is that risk reward, and you know, stats guys I'm sure are looking at well the amount of times we actually kick long and it breaks mm. versus the amount of times we kick short and retain possession, and what's how how much do we score versus you know one one versus the other, um, and I know people have been given out about fly goalkeepers, and there's no kind of more a, a fellow who pronounces it as more than Ethan Rafferty with with, with obviously with Armagh. Um, but I watched that game closely, and and I think what you lose on one side, you gain on something else with a fella like him, who's who's well able to come forward and set up scores and uh, get involved and win kickouts and everything yeah. on the far side. So, I think where you can get caught between two stools there, Shane, is is if is if you're doing the short. Uh, kick out and you're also being a bit of a but you're not willing to take the risk because he takes an inordinate amount of risk but it's obviously it's calculated risk by McGinney Mm. because he realises that actually you know when we bring him in when things are slowing down he is that extra player coming from deep uh, and he has such ball skills he obviously played midfield for Dunkyshire so he's able to he's able to handle the ball Um, but it's still a risk Um, but you know the short kick out I think sometimes keepers they see a kick out um, and and they they want to go there and they kind of 
they look away, but they still want to go back to that kick out. And and if you have the high press on, and if you're smart enough, obviously you can pick them off. And of course, once you pick them off, it's it's, it's goal time. Um, there's still a lot to be said about just putting your foot through it. Uh, you know, in those situations. But you know, like I mean, look, someone at a, at a, at a, at a, you know, obviously doing the stats, as I said, will be able to point things out. And the concession of a goal, yes, it can be a right kick in the teeth, but it can't be abandoned because at the end of the day, if you are getting a short kick out of way. You, know, you, you regain a possession which is obviously massive for you um, I, I know you're talking about the Monaghan defence but um, Kerry supporters are very very excited about Donald Down O'Sullivan the latest in the procession of glorious forwards yes. it's going to be tricky to get into that team but he might be good enough to do it yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna join the hype train just yet, because <laughs> I heard it. You know, I was kind of going, okay, one three. You know, he got the goal. I thought was yeah, and soft goal know. as well. Yeah, it was like, soft goal. It was it, like a bit. To be fair, I think it was Roach or Alex Brosnan who actually did a lot of good work for hand passed mm. the ball across to him. Um, if you like, watch some of the defending for some of the scores. It wasn't a Monaghan player within yeah. ten yards of him. Um, so he he will have tougher battles. Is what I'm saying, right? So then he has to prove himself against, it. and he's. Now marked like I'm coming into the next next match as a cornerback. I don't know who they play next, and I'm thinking right. I'm putting an X on this guy. Yeah. So how does he handle that? I suppose. But yes, you know, I've kind of I've thought about it. Like Kerry will definitely have to unearth one, if not two. Okay, you got your Sean O'Shea, you have your two Cliffords, and I love the way they played Clifford last week. He played in a much more kind of withdrawal, withdrawn role. He was actually nearly acting as a double six, so he was a bit more even, he was deeper than he normally would be when he's playing that tricky kind of 11 role. Um, and he was, he, like, he's, he's such a class player for Kerry. Like, I, I, I honestly think he's, he's their best because, He's he's the one guy that as soon as he gets the ball, his head is up and he's looking to pass it rather than trying to work something out for himself. Yeah. Like, obviously, the brother inside, it's always about execution. Um, and even Shawnee O'Shea to a large degree. Whereas whereas Paddy is always constantly looking at where's the right pass, where do I need to go with this, um, and his ability just to do small simple things. Um, you know, he, I, as I said, he, he's vital for them. I think that yes, I think Gini will be will struggle. I think you know different players who come back. Spillane, even though when he came on again, some chances you go that should have went over. Yeah. You know you need you need to score those. You need to get yourself five or six points here. Um, so I definitely think that Roach gives them something different. I think he gives them a much more physical presence in that full forward line. So where does a maybe a, it's a bit of a say a physical battle inside there, and you you do you want to protect. David as much as possible, right? From going into that fit, you could you could fire him in because he's well able to take it. Uh, he's big and strong, and as I said, he gives you that different thing of a ball winning ability inside. But no, O'Sullivan will be fine. I think it's just I think he has tougher battles to go, um, and I think. I, like my worry about Monaghan they are very young uh, and yeah. you can see it you know and he's trying to blood new fellas and he will get guys back but I just saw some worrying signs in it of fellas just you know throwing in the towel chasing back guys and uh, you know they're going to have to do a hard really tough hard video session this week because they'll be skating out of Division 1 fairly sharp it's unforced errors as well I know that like <clears throat> Conor McManus isn't there Jack McCarran was injured last week they have the two Q's brothers to come back in as well but that's not really an ex- like the, you still have to be Playing better than it was. It was just you know handing the ball to Kerry on different occasions, which is which is worrying. Um, yeah, you just can't see that at Division One level. Like the, when you're talking about unearthing new players, that's maybe a, an advantage for Kerry having so many injuries has maybe allowed other players to, to kind of come in and. Well, you could see the response from last week. 
because if you watch it back, they're a bit, they turned Monaghan over mm. in, in Monaghan's forward line on umpteen occasions. Yeah. And it wasn't just one hand in. Next thing, there was another Kerry man over. And you could see the Monaghan lads getting hit from all angles. Yeah. And Spillane was back there. Uh, Barry was back there. Like, I mean, there was tackles going in and good physical tackles. Not you know, stupid tackles with your mm. hand in, but just, just putting a hand on someone, getting the ball down, someone else diving on the ball. And they showed a real desire. Like, Brosnan was back. Brosnan was back in his own defence. I don't know how many. Like, I mean, and, and I wouldn't say that is his game, yeah. you know. But he was back there, you know. You're not going to play, though, if you don't do it. It's Absolutely. Like, you'd Absolutely. often see Paul Mannion back, left corner back, defending, and then up the... Uh, Correct. The so, that's, so, what they're, you know. that's what they're developing. Correct. One last thing, and we, we don't have time to get into it, but we might talk about it over the course of the rest of the, the uh, league campaign. Paddy Kelly has been uh, speaking to the examiner about... The, this is the um, Cork All-Ireland winner. Mm. Uh, talking about Cork style of play... The one thing I'd be critical of, I thought it was very one-dimensional. It's very much a running game. Very little looking up to kick and to move the ball through the lines quickly. And then he goes on to say, I was at a lot, a lot of Cork versus Kerry minor and under 20 games for the last five or six years with TG Carr. It's an obvious thing in Cork football. We've beaten Kerry and often been the better team, but it's a running style. Whereas you see Kerry even losing minor and under 20s. It's always kicking out from defence down the channel 20 or 30 yard passes. I had basically the same conversation with uh, somebody who's been involved with underage teams in Kildare recently and he was just saying our style of play is still the running game and yeah. it's been outstripped by the, the best teams who are looking to kick the ball long and you saw Pori Joyce come in took him a long time to get there but eventually yeah. they were like we're a kicking team you know the only one who's allowed to run with it is Shane Walsh because he's a genius and like but I think stylistically um, there are these trends where there are super athletic teams who are slightly doing the wrong thing Armagh have, have changed I think mm-hmm. and they're now a kicking team as well so absolutely and, and Mayo looking to have uh, a proper final this is your full forward Aiden. that's going to be the end of your career go for it like I think that um, well that, uh, uh, go on sorry I think that's happening yeah I think I think it's a look you, you know and you follow NFL as I do and, and they often talk in the NFL about establishing the run game so you can actually throw the pass Um and I think it's the same thing in, in, in Gaelic football because, you know, people were going on saying, oh, Mead kicked a lot, Mead kicked a lot. Mead did a, Mead did a lot of running with the ball in the last two games. And it's, 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 but it's a situation where if you are as a, as a defense feel that these guys are going to kick the ball for you, you are naturally going to take a step back yeah. because you're afraid of the ball going in over the top. Fellas can kick the ball accurately from 45, 50 yards. They should be able to anyhow. Um, so all of a sudden your defence as a natural thing just sits back a little bit. It doesn't push up as much. Um, so you can mix it then. If you put long balls in, should I say, and you have fellas taking their men on, well, then actually what you can do then is the next time is you can run it because the space will be there. Yeah. It has to be there. Um, and it's a different situation, obviously, when you can, you can, you know, catch fellas on the break and stuff like that. But if you're naturally playing, now it, it is difficult when you come up against some of the more, shall we say, the teams that are very, very adept at just pouring men behind the ball. So let's say Tyrone's or Donegal's who, who, who are very defensive. How will shape up with that so how does that kicking game and have you got the patience then to be able to recycle and you end up in a dogfight where it's 10-7 or 10-8 yeah. you know so so if, when it's if you haven't worked on the uh, for, uh, the two or three opportunities you get in the game if you haven't absolutely honed the craft 
of hitting 40 yard balls into somebody then you're going to miss those opportunities and that you'll never get the opportunity Correct. to settle them so. Correct. well if you watch a game and you watch a game back and you see you know the classic where say a team or a team are, are, are attacking and all of a sudden the ball breaks down and, and it comes out to that extra man say a half back or a half forward if you see and he puts his head down straight away that's it like in training you need to say stop yeah why did he, so his head has to be straight up and he has to be thinking of where is my 11 yeah. where is my man and actually Mead have Scully on half forward line which is, who's, a, who's, a, who's a really good player he gets his head up himself but but exactly the same thing some of the better teams who are taking those risks have to realise that as an 11 he should have 40 or 50 yards of space left and right from I should be able to play the ball to him and then it literally should be him pinging it straight in no man is going to get back quicker than that right. so, so that is the pass that is the, that is the pass that, that kind of unlocks the key we'll keep an eye out for those passes those key passes uh, yeah. in next week the week after when the football is back Anthony good stuff thanks a million for joining us no bother cheers lads. Anthony Moyle giving us some thoughts there on uh, the football over the course of the weekend now, a special treat for us this morning. I'm delighted to say we're joined by the Sultan to Ping FC drummer Morty McCarthy, all the way from Stockholm. Hey, Morty, how are you? Sounds familiar. <laughs> how are you getting on? Can you hear us all right, Morty? Hi there, can you hear us? I can, yeah, loud and clear coming through. How are you getting on? Getting on fine here, getting ready for the gigs this weekend in Cork. Uh, we have two shows uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the WLP. A homecoming. It must be pretty exciting. It's very exciting, yeah. I mean, we haven't played in Cork since 2014. You know, we don't play that often, so it's really nice to, to go back home and, uh, and celebrate the album's release. So, uh, was that a life-changing moment when the album comes out? Do you know that it's going to be successful when you're recording it? What was that like? Um, well, I suppose, you know, the previous year when Where's My Jumper was the first single came out, I mean, you know, it did very well and the subsequent singles did well also. So, I mean, we kind of knew the album would do pretty okay. Um, yeah, it was a whirlwind, to be honest, the first uh, two or three years of the band. We were constantly touring, um, you know, mostly in the UK and a lot in Europe and Japan. So it was a fantastic time for the band. So it's it's nice to get to play all these tracks again. How did you guys all come together? Um, so Niall started the band, the singer, uh, he was in Rochestown College and, um, then I actually sold the band. Their first ever Cork gig was 89 and really liked the band. So I ended up being the manager. And then in 91, I started playing drums for them and we signed, uh, in 1991 in June. Right. Okay. So that, that is a whirlwind. Um, what age are you at that stage? Uh, so I was 22 and, uh, the lads were just 20. So, um, yeah, we we're very young, very innocent. Uh, and I'd say having the time of your lives. <laughs> having the time of my lives, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I was a Cork City fanatic at the time and I, I loved the band, but I do remember 1993 when City actually won the league for the first time. Uh, I missed the game because Sultans, we were playing a show in Holland. So <laughs> there was a bit of a divide there sometimes between the football and the music. Were you tempted to miss the gig and watch the match? Is that like, I, was, was there a bit of tension? I was, I was sorely tempted. I mean, I, you know, a Cork team hadn't won the league since 1974 so to miss uh, you know 19 years later to miss the penultimate game up in the RDS was, was very hard to take but I was glad we, we won we won anyway because I'd seen us lose too many times Do you still get plenty of Cork games in Morty? I know you're living in Sweden at the moment so I'm sure it makes it a little bit more difficult to, to, to watch them yeah, it's a bit more difficult uh, than before. But uh, yeah, I do get, you know, six or eight games a season. I'll go off to Dublin one weekend if there's a good game in Dublin. And I get home quite often. So uh, I'm there as often as I can. You're not tempted to follow a team over there? Uh, so Hammerby is our team in Stockholm. So myself and my son have season tickets. Um, 
they're hugely supported. They're kind of more of a cult team, to be honest. They've only ever won uh, the league once. Um, so, and they've been going over a hundred years. But no, I really enjoy it. But it's not the same as your home club, obviously. But my son loves it, so I enjoy going to the games with him. There's obviously a shared interest in football in the band. Like the the clip, the the song that we play out on the football show is obviously giving a ball in the yard of grass. Uh, did you was was it a shared love of music and football? Which came first? Um, I would say both. Actually, you know, I mean, we we all went to this bar in Cork called the Liberty Bar, and everybody was you know fanatical about music and and sport. I mean, within the band, I think Niall and Pat. They didn't really rate the League of Ireland. Used to, used to laugh at me going to see League of Ireland games. Uh, Niall is a huge Forest fan and still goes to games regularly in the UK. But uh, they just made fun of me all the time uh, for, for supporting League of Ireland. But I've stuck with it, yeah. And I think they're coming around now. They've been to a few games when they've been back in the last few years. What's the crack with uh, giving a ball in the yard of grass? What's the, the backstory to it? Uh, so that was Niall, uh, again, Forrest. Uh, it's a song about Nigel Clough, uh, who played for Forrest back then. Um, we had a very close association with Forrest. We played a lot in Nottingham. Stuart Pearce used to come to the gigs. Uh, Nottingham Forrest actually released a, a flexi disc of that song first, uh, which was given out to all the fans at the city grounds. And uh, we've never actually met Nigel. He, he came to the show one time in Sheffield, but we still haven't met him. So maybe someday. There you go. Surely this now, 30 years on, now's the time to do it. Yeah, so maybe take a trip to Burton if he's still there. I'm not sure if he's still at Burton or not, but uh, yeah, it would be great to see him. Surely there's Roy Keane link in here somewhere then. We've got Cork and Nottingham Forest. You're ticking a lot of boxes here, Morty. <laughs> I know, it's it's amazing. You know, we've never actually met Roy Keane. You know, we, we obviously idolise the guy. He's a, a true Cork warrior, um, but we've never met him. Um, but, you know, we follow him and we enjoy his football punditry on TV. Are you, are you allowed to pick a, a favourite song or is that like asking between or to choose your favourite kid? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like two of the slower songs, actually. I guess uh, Let's Go Shopping and Two Pints of Razor would be my, my two favourites from from the record. So we'll be playing both of them this weekend. Uh, the decision to come back and, and do a 30th anniversary tour, is it is it easy? Because the, the, the comforting blanket of nostalgia, even when you're talking about Two Pints of Rasa and Let's Go Shopping, they're, like, they're amazing. The, the whole album just worked as this uh, delicious little slice of uh, pop and... Um, indie glory uh, it, was, it was very much a product of its time but now like it still sounds fresh and brilliant yeah it's it's amazing you know I mean I think uh, the internet has, especially has been very very kind to us and you know the likes of yourself playing give them a ball so the kind the name has kind of been kept in the public eye through the years through various things and um, yeah I mean we don't play too often these as I think we'd be knackered to be honest if we, if we had to do uh, you know a tour so I mean just a couple of shows a year is enough uh, just to keep it going we uh, really enjoy it I remember about 10 years ago uh, being on one of those work night outs where it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and you end up in a club and you're like I have not been in a club in a very long time and then Where's My Jumper comes on and all the kids are going mad I'm like alright so Where's My Jumper obviously has just had a second life and a third life and a fourth life it's kind of immortal yeah, and I think, you know, the Young Offenders movie uh, and the series was obviously very, very popular with uh, the younger kids in Ireland and Where's My Jumper finished out the movie. So I think that's probably got a lot to do with it as well to attract a new audience, for sure. So two gigs this week in Cork. What's the rest of the, the year looking like for, for you guys? Uh, we don't know, to be honest. You know, We're like people who play in the cup match. You know, If we get knocked out, uh, that's it. <laughs> but, you know, maybe we'll, we'll go into extra time and, uh, you know, get into the next round. So we never actually decide on doing another show until we finish one. So we'll see after the weekend in Cork what we're going to do. Are you all still mates after all the years? Oh, we're all st- still good mates. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, you know, 
we just sit in the pub and talk about football, basically, to be honest. That's what we do uh, when we get together. Uh, we could do a bit more practice. I think we spend too much time talking football and not <laughs> enough time practicing, but uh, it's kind of always on the edge of chaos, but it generally works out uh, on the night. Yeah, big, big weekend for Cork in the GA as well. Morty, I know you follow the GEA. Uh, we were just chatting Anthony Moyles about it. Um, I mean, proper dual county and, and really impressive on both fronts of the weekend. Yeah, um, I mean, look, Cork has really suffered uh, in the last 15, 20 years, sporting-wise. I mean, the hurlers haven't won for such a long time. Um, so it was great to get again win against Limerick, who are a fantastic team. So there's hope, I think. Uh, and the footballers had a fantastic win. You know, I was disappointed they lost to Meath, but uh, great win up in Kildare. Um, and, you know, Cork City are back in the in the, in the the Premier League again after a couple of year absence. So so I think the future is looking bright for Cork, but, you know, we, we still have a bit of work to do if we want to catch up with the likes of Limerick and, and Shamrock Rovers, you know, if we want to compete at the top table again. Well, listen, uh, tickets are available on CorkOperaHouse.ie. Morty, it's great to have you with us to uh, finally make contact after all these years of um, playing the song in the evening. We have a great response to it every time it goes out, and we're delighted to be able to. So uh, thanks a million and enjoy the gig. Thanks a lot, lads. All the best. It's uh, Morty McCarthy there, the drummer with the Sultans of Ping FC. Uh, to round out today's show OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, busy show for us tomorrow we're going to join uh, Derek McNamara is going to be back in studio giving us the stats on the rugby at the weekend Brisbane Lions teammates Dara Joyce and Conor McKenna will join us uh, live from Australia and plenty more as well there'll be more reaction to Manchester City News on Off the Ball this evening um, a couple of quick comments for you DuPont is there Sexton says John Mack Lads, this Irish rugby success isn't going to last forever, so enjoy it while it's here and get on the hype train. Exactly, Choo-choo. exactly. Why are, we, why are we so negative? Some people in the comments are calling for me to get the sack for predicting Ireland would win the World Cup, but I mean, get over ourselves. Why would... Why, like Patrick Cal is the person you should name him. Please sack Shane, he's gone on a mad one. He's going to jinx everything. Oh, I'm not going to jinx it. I'm, I'm just, Do you not, so you're a scientist, though. Do you not um, believe in chaos theory that the little butterfly flapping its wings is finding its way right as we speak that... That Razzie screen grabbing the video, Ireland are going to win the World Cup, and then it's being projected into like giants. Look at these, like, look at these leprechauns thinking they're going to beat us. Uh, no. what are and it'll be you. you know? <laughs> it'll be, I'll like, be on the dressing room wall. Yeah, they'll, they'll come out wearing masks, of, and Shane will be like, What? I, I, oh God, if I could have that moment back again, I'd I jam yeah. that genie back in the bottle. Own it. Why can't we, why can't we own these things? Why, why, can't, why can't we be good and also know we're good? Well, I would largely agree with you, right? Except um, professional sports people are totally weird. They yeah. they turn every imagined slight into like. Well, they have to, don't they? Do you remember? Was it was it? It was Ballyhale. Were like, uh, when they won the All Ireland, the speeches they gave afterwards. We used that and we nursed that grievance. And then we won the All Ireland the next year. You're like, well, that's a bit strange. Yeah. Do you not do you not think us getting knocked out of the World Cup at the last day of stage or before every year is a mentality thing? I think it is. I and think there's definitely a connection. To mentality's the mentality. different now. That this team are the number one team in the world and they show it and um, I don't think they're afraid to be up there like uh, Irish teams gone by so there's something different that's all I'm saying Jer it feels different this year News coming through this morning that Richard Cockrell is leaving the England setup after the Six Nations he was the last remaining of the coaches as part of the Eddie Jones era so I mean it's fair enough I think Steve Borthwick wants his own team there and by the time the Six Nations is over he'll have decided exactly what he wants he seems to have been a little bit surprised by how bad the team were uh, Darren McAlinden says it's in our DNA to be pessimistic get behind Ireland um, and then Barry Clark says lads I was at the game in Cardiff just leaving Bristol this morning Christmas present from the wife great weekend and I have to say Jarrett Wales supporters were absolutely fantastic says Baz well that's great I'm glad you had a good time Barry um, 
I think maybe when they win, they're less they're less cracked to be around. I think uh, Ashley and Gordon Darcy in the press box had a pint of beer come down upon them. I know oh, you, did you, you'd been warning Ashley about um, people puking on her. Yeah, being careful in the press That's box. That's the traditional welcome. I don't know if it was a full pint glass or what it was, but certainly something came down from the heavens and it, it didn't come from an airplane. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's always one of those dodgy press boxes I'd imagine to be in. Hill 16 says, Wales and red. Fair enough. Mayo in either red or orange and Scotland and green. Oh, Mayo. What? I, did I think Mayo were pretty happy with the 17 points apiece draw in Armagh. Unbeaten. A draw against Galway and Armagh? Yeah. Why would, why would they be upset? Played really well as well. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, was, that was, by the way, a classic game. We didn't give, it, give that game enough credit, but that Armagh-Mayo uh, game. Just chaos. And Armagh are a team that just... 15,000 in the... Oh, the athletic grounds. Yeah. Um, the box at athletic grounds, as they're now known. Um, but really, really good atmosphere, it, it appeared. 17 points to 12 down with 10 minutes left, and Armagh just... They love those... Geezer just loves those moments where... The backs are against the wall Armagh aren't fancy to pick up any points at home it's, it's a disappointment and then they just pick off five points without reply it was brilliant and the game uh, doesn't ultimately matter at the end of the year it's like um, just an opportunity for them to get everybody as fit as they possibly can uh, Michael Collins says how can they be the highest commercial revenue earners in Europe within 10 years in their previous position uh, City's history will be forever tainted well we'll see if Man City have been breaking fair play rules hammer them but what difference does it actually make to the 11 they put out on the pitch well, every difference, I guess, uh, Terry, in that it allows you to put players out and pay them more than they would be otherwise getting paid, and so therefore they wouldn't sign for you in the first place, mm. which I think would strengthen your team. Yeah, uh, like City fans are going to point at Chelsea and go, look at them, look, they've done things as well, they have a £1.5 billion rolling debt to Roman Abramovich, but two wrongs don't make a right. Um, so I think <laughs> an example, if City are found guilty, an example needs to be made of them. As Martin Lipton said, a fine is probably the most realistic thing here, but I don't think any of City's rivals would would accept that as, as going far enough if they're found guilty. Yeah, the whole financial doping thing, though, it is kind of a can of worms where there'll be a lot of the Spider-Man meme going around Yeah, for those clubs. Like, like who isn't at it? Well, you know, Blackburn win because they have the most money and can sign the best players, and then Manchester United go on spending spree for a decade and a half and win all the time, and it's like... It was it was smaller money though. It was local money. Yeah. It, it's not the same. It's, they earned all that money. It's like yeah. well, you know, this is golf money. The, the, the money is different. It's not. Well, it's it's not different. It's the same money. Yeah, but you it, can't say it's it's different money. It's but the, the numbers like look, eight hundred and fifty million pounds spent. But by the principle is the same. Principle is the same. But Jesus, the, the the numbers have just gone through the roof. But, uh, well, Jack Walker, he made his he made his he made his money from the ground up, literally. He takes stuff out of the ground. He'd sell it for money, and then he, that got us Alan Shearer. It's like yeah, but why did you get Alan Shearer? Well. I don't know. <laughs> You're not having it. Well, I just, I just think that like there will be a lot of what aboutery. Yeah. Like what about all of Chelsea's money that they were all able to do before financial fair play? Like it's a fair point. Mm. I think as a football fan looking at that news across the weekend, you're you're a bit exhausted. You're like, well, we're all so used to it now because of the whole sports washing and um, everything that's gone on in football in the last ten years. We come to expect stories like this now. So it's like, well, oh, that's just football. The bad guys sometimes win. All right. Sometimes or all the time. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.